try again please i uh, i'll help him out uh, so what is asking is since it's difficult for new people to build a brand somebody with an existing no nobody brand, can like ever build a brand over there please open your ears and listen to what the words coming out of my mouth no no no, yeah. no. the structure of that app is such that there is no way to build a, any asset or business asset that of any kind there anybody so Tyler, anybody what he's asking is what what does taylor swift do yeah yeah what would what, taylor swift what, do taylor swift already platform? has a no. following on spotify correct so she can do a room right and that would be a pretty large room she need not build a brand but it's not her room i think you guys don't understand what he's trying to say it's very uh, simple there's a I... room there there's a club here over here you can monetize a club over there there's no room to monetize it's like you walk into a random room that's it you're not registering a club or anything like that Can't you cannot like you cannot collect followers over there you can for yourself personally your personal profile in both apps in in clubhouse you can club. also build followers of a club which is very monetizable incredibly monetizable that does not exist over there there's no point in saying please follow the tech news club because that doesn't because exist that... over there yes that's that's exactly. clear Tyler. Mm-hmm. But, and it's funny but, it's but... funny being over there at the moment because like i i was asking grant cardone earlier like direct questions which was quite fun because i asked him like was he going to migrate over to to spotify what he thought was going to happen in the next 30 days the so what is it's just a funny frame there it's like every everything is very new but your point is very well made tyler there are no clubs it's just people it's just people exactly it's just you and the people that follow you there and that's great you can build followers for yourself over there and that's valuable to you but that's not something you can sell But so Tyler, I want to say something. I want to say something. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't think tech news have any value without you. So unless mm, you want I, to sell no, yourself I, together with tech news. Yeah, you sell the club. There's no value. You, with you. It does. With you. No, because with I don't you. speak. I don't speak in 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 all of the side rooms we do. I don't talk, and people know, go to those rooms. That is valuable. Uh, I, no. I, I I don't think so. Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, I agree with Cheryl. doesn't become social commerce like that's the difference because you're building your own personal brand it's going to be more social commerce you could This build your more... own you could build your yes but you please listen it's so simple yes you can build your own personal brand that is something you cannot sell that's called a practice in business like a dentist you are a dentist you can build a practice as a doctor but you as a doctor have a very difficult time selling yourself as a passing that on to somebody you die and you pass it can you pass on you as a doctor to your child no not really so this would be there's no equal can can you build a you but now no let just let me make give you a business 101 class real quick could i build a cake shop and die and pass it on to my child yes i can can i build a hotel and pass it on to my child yes i can can i become a doctor and pass it on to my child no i cannot do you understand it's that simple here it's a cake shop over there it's a doctor it's that simple yeah there's there's no there's no ownership it is fascinating Correct. though to have the messaging i can build up my following as a doctor over there yes and that's valuable to me myself as my doctor it's not valuable to my child i cannot bequeath it to anybody it's not an asset it's not there's a terminology in business class called an asset right it has value it acquire, and you can grow the asset 
But over there, there is no asset to grow other than yourself, which is only of a value to you. Club is concerned, Tyler. It's Correct. just like a company. Like people Correct. sell companies. It's, exactly. Sell a company and have a contract built in saying Tyler has to stay green here and then they bring someone else, etc. etc. Correct. People are buying the value of the company. That's Correct. Pre precisely. So what's the point of the platform, Tyler, then? People to build up their own personal profiles. Possibly podcasting. Or for conversate for people to talk to each other and have conversations and fill in the hole in their soul that their mama didn't give them because they didn't love them enough. That's the point of that platform. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> oh boy! One question though about the verified uh, the verified profiles are they um, podcast owners on Spotify? No, the and, people and who the... have the people who have verified accounts in Greenhouse are very early users and if you want to see something interesting there's one account uh let me pull him up that uh, automatically every account follows by default over there who is the creator of uh green room when it was called it's tom from myspace it's like like the tom of myspace exactly right um and his name is uh howard ukamaya he's the creator of locker room he sold it to spotify and his icon looks like a Lucy from The Simpsons. And he automatically, you automatically follow him when you join, whether you knew it or not. You have to intentionally unfollow him. And he now has the title of director, head of all live events at Spotify. And he's from Southern California, uh, African-American dude. Seems very cool. Uh, we don't seem to have any friends in common. Um and he's apparently still running um club i'm sorry what's the app called green now that they call it locker room or whatever and anyway um they've not not done any integrations with spotify yet or with anchor yet and it will be interesting to see if spotify is gonna uh, hand over some of their product managers and developer team and designers to continue to upgrade locker room which i imagine they will I'm kind of surprised they haven't done more of it already in this first initial launch um, because there's an incredible amount of potential in in integrating uh, the green room with the native Spotify app. Uh, incredible and absurd potential from a creator uh, uh, monetization perspective, all kinds of amazing opportunities. And the biggest one that I can um, imagine and very simply is the fact that people there's 356 million monthly users of spotify which is tremendous that's huge and and about 100 million of them are paid which is tremendous and then what's what's also very interesting is those uh artists that you follow in spotify and say the average person follows 20 30 40 50 artists in spotify <clears throat> you can imagine the hallway which now does exist in locker room uh, green green room um next you know and when they do make that integration with the spotify app that your your spotify app in the future will have an extra little icon on every artist profile that you follow saying oh here's this room where you can talk to all of the other youtube fans which you know youtube youtube probably has a million two million fans on that follow them on spotify and those two million fans can see it on the youtube the youtube 
profile page, but also in the locker room hallway. There will now be all of the 50 artists that you follow in Spotify will also, those rooms uh, will also exist in your hallway of the app. And all of the other 1 million Taylor Swift fans who also follow Taylor Swift will also see that in their hallway. And you'll have 100,000 fans all listening to Taylor Swift's cat- Spotify catalog in that room. And she will get hundreds of thousands of listens every time they play a song in there. And she, because all Spotify artists have a special section of Spotify where they can see their analytics. It's one of the coolest things about Spotify for artists is you can see all of your plays all over the world, geographically, by gender, by country, by time of day. It's like a stock chart all throughout the day, by day of the week, day of the month, everything. And now those numbers will be impacted by... Uh, that integration with that app when they when they have you know tens of thousands of their fans listening together in a room and of course that would encourage those artists to go into those rooms and imagine the absolute social media pandemonium that will happen when bts the world's largest musical act in history makes the beatles look small by comparison goes into their bts fans room it'll break the fucking internet Dude, I have a better one for you. Imagine yeah. how you could co- co- coordinate this with, with Shopify, uh, and you actually get the, the the team music for 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 the shop where you uh, you browse the shop. You have the 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 green room and Spotify loaded in the background. So just the same as you go into your, your Hennes Amarit HM. Uh, you have that music track. You have the same music track when you go into the fucking site. You want don't speak. Yeah, so they are doing a a partnership with Shopify. And in the future, artists will be selling their albums through Spotify or or content, you could call it. Um, Merchandise, T-shirts, coffee mugs, whatever, you know, whatever. And and music files and maybe movie files and concert tickets and virtual concert tickets. And then it could get incredibly cool incredibly quickly. I don't see why that won't happen. It'll be an absolute... The one of the biggest uh, tech, you know, blunders of all time. If they don't do that, and knowing Spotify as I do, uh, trust me, they're not going to drop that ball. <laughs> Spotify does a Tyler. lot. Of, Spotify does a lot of really, really, really cool shit that n- most people wouldn't think to do. So they're not going to uh, not do stuff that's actually is obvious. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. No, it'd literally be cool if we get our tech news around the world T-shirts, Tyler. Yeah, we could start doing that right now. I mean, there's we could use Cafe Press right it's now so cool. and make coffee mugs and shirts and put them in the bio of the tech newsroom. We could do that tomorrow. Um, but anyway, yeah, but it's all it's all very interesting. Uh, the Spotify has so much crazy, crazy potential to tap into with all of their artists. It's like it's it's absurd. Um, Just give it some time. Give it some time. Well, that that kid, uh, whatever his name was, Howard. You know, I, I have to imagine they're having strategy meetings about how to do the integration with the, the mother app um, and uh, and with not only that, but with Anchor as well, which is, is a podcasting app that Spotify acquired, which is truly brilliant. Um, it There are many plat, uh, podcasting platforms. Apple podcasting app is uh, the original OG. And then you've got Google Podcast and even Spotify's podcasting and 10 others. And then the uh, Anchor app makes it incredibly simple. You just upload a logo and a name and they will make your accounts on all of those apps 
which is actually incredibly difficult to do, like it's really difficult. And they do it automatically for you. It takes several days, but uh, you come back four or five days later and they've done it. And then you can upload any audio clip, name it, tag it, and um, and then you it will blast it out to all of those podcasting apps magically for you instantly. And um, that can also be integrated as part of Spotify's um, new you know, clubhouse clone because they're already make it super simple to record the rooms. But then you could just in one button, push it over to anchor and blast it out as a podcast. Uh, and again, it's really, but it gets more interesting than that because anchor, when it blasts out your audio file as a podcast through all the podcasting networks can automatically insert advertisements for you into your podcast and pay you for listens of those ads. So it's it's an ad based, uh, and they've already done the work of partnering with all of those um, um, advertisers uh, to monetize your podcast for you. Which that's just an incredible value, and that's why, by the way, Apple's now trying to catch up on that front. And so it's Facebook, one of the headlines today. By the way, I'll bet it's. I'll, let's see how big it is out of all of the tech headlines in the world today. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, the fifth largest headline in the entire tech sphere, according to all of the links on Twitter, um, is in an email to creators, Facebook says it will launch its podcasting platform on June 22nd. One week from today, podcasters can link up RSS feeds and decide if users can clip shows. So now Facebook is getting into the game too, which is interesting because now I'm Mark Zuckerberg and, and Daniel Ek are quite friendly, actually, and have been since the day that Spotify, you know, got started. And um, the in, in Spotify's early traction is in some part owed to Facebook, actually. Uh, Facebook played a significant role in popularizing Spotify in America, uh, for example, through uh, social listening, which was a really cool innovation at the time. And. The point uh, I want to make is that this Facebook going into podcasting like this and Spotify, um, they're starting to, mer- you know, start to overlap more in, in different products that they sort of compete with and uh, monetizing creators. Because now it's all about monetizing creators and every app is trying to let its creators monetize themselves. And it's a question of where are the creators going to be able to monetize most and if Sarah can jump up on stage, she can add a little color as a Swedish uh, record label, somebody who spent a, a long life in the record label biz. And uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts about Spotify? Yeah, yeah. But um, basically all of us in Stockholm, of which on stage at the moment, Sarah is, uh, Johan is, I mean, Stockholm's a very small town. And, you know, all of the geeks, we all know each other and regularly bump into all of the founders of all of these companies but sarah what's your take on the spotify let me one last thing before i hand it over to sarah when um who was it when it was when when it was rumored that facebook might acquire clubhouse and this was back in march and then then there was another rumor about twitter buying clubhouse in april for four billion dollars, and all of the Swedes, honestly, were asking each other, "Why isn't Spotify buying Clubhouse?" 
because we as Swedes know that Spotify, we all know in Stockholm because we all have friends that work at Spotify. We all know that Spotify's plan is to become the uh, dominate the, the monopoly of everything you listen to, not just music, but podcasts. And this we we know falls into that because it's come through your air. Anything that comes through your AirPods, they want to dominate that. And so when when Clubhouse came along, all the Swedes were like, oh, Spotify is going to want to buy this. And everyone else is like, huh, Spotify? We're like, yep, this is right up their alley because they want to monopolize anything you listen to. And that includes Clubhouse. So it wasn't a surprise when they bought Locker Room at all. And it's not a surprise at all that they've now launched it. And it, I won't be surprised at all if it becomes wildly successful because Spotify is a data company, y'all. <laughs> and guess what? Clubhouse is not yet. <laughs> so guess who's going to win that one? Because Spotify is a masterful in their use of data and analytics and clubhouse has not begun that they have not hired the data scientist army that uh uh and the recommendation you hear in every town hall meeting and i and i say this uh with hesitation because i i want clubhouse to succeed wholeheartedly and uh and i and i will even go out of my way and commit my own time and resources to help it succeed um and with get with getting nothing in return and and I honestly believe that Daniel Eck, honestly, he's he's genuinely an, an incredibly nice guy. I believe Daniel Eck also wants Clubhouse to succeed. He does not actually want to see it fail. I think he it, w- it would actually kind of bum him out if uh, Clubhouse did fail. I think he wants both to succeed. But I, what I, my point is, is that Spotify, make no mistake, is a data company. And all you need to look at is their recent patent filings that is driving musicians to freak out and write signature collection campaigns about, please don't use that data. That's how much of a data company Spotify is. They make they do remarkably amazing recommendations of playlists because of their mastery of data. And in every town hall meeting you go to, every clubhouse town hall meeting, you hear Paul say every week, week after week, month after month, we need to do better at recommending and discovery. And that means we need to get better at data to make better recommendations and better discovery. Right? Well, Spotify don't have that problem. They are absolute fucking masters at recommendation and discovery. So <laughs> uh, which horse are you betting on? I know there's um, a significant amount of antipathy towards Spotify from the vast majority of the music community, um, other than, you know, the top, you know, 5% of earners. There's a huge amount of, um, of dislike because the average payout for a musician that isn't like Taylor Swift is $200 a year. Yep. So they're they're very like the model itself is um, is something that they dislike so much that I could actually see them like a large campaign of people uh, pushing to make any other platform more successful <clears throat> than Spotify um, and drawing no. attention to the fact that if you want to monetize, it may not be the best way to go unless you are one of the leaders. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not well, played on Spotify, so I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll help you out as someone who had a recording contract with Capitol Records. So the what it is is uh, artists love Spotify, uh, in fact. And you read articles from 10 years ago where artists were confused why they weren't being paid by Spotify or why they were being paid so little. 
And the tech journalists, uh, God bless them, are fucking idiots. Okay, we have something we cover here often. And this is a perfect example of the tech journalists uh, find some of the checks that some artists get from Spotify, you know, $2 for the year. And the reason for that is very simple. It's because artists themselves are idiots. And they signed contracts, like the one I signed with Capital, where it, the record label asked for your digital streaming rights at a time when artists were like, uh, what's that? And they asked their lawyer, what, hey, lawyer, what's the digital streaming right? And the lawyer's like, I don't know. And the label's like, just sign the dotted line, baby. And everyone signed those dotted lines. And that gave the labels your digital streaming rights, which was not clear what that meant 10 years ago. Even, even I would even say up until five years ago when all those deals were being signed and the labels made it a part of every contract they wanted all of your digital distribution. It was called was the, the clause in those contracts. And people are like digital distribution. Huh? What? What is that? Anyway, everyone knows very well what it is now. And all of the labels are the ones who own all of the rights to distribute your music digitally, which includes the digital streaming services like Spotify. So. Your label owns uh, your music with regard to Spotify. And so when Spotify wants to stream your songs, they don't come to you because you don't own those rights. Your label does because you signed a piece of paper where you got a bunch of money from the record label for giving them those rights. So the label doesn't need to pay. The label pays whoever owns the rights and it ain't the artists. So you're exactly right that Spotify is not paying the artists because the artists don't own those rights. So they pay the person who owns the rights, which is the labels. And then the you're, but you're telling me the artists are mad at Spotify about that? No, they're mad at their labels and they're mad at themselves for signing that contract. They actually like Spotify because Spotify would actually prefer and tells them to their face, hey, idiot, next time don't sign that contract. And by the way, if you want to start doing shit with us directly, we would love to do that with you. We would absolutely love to, to do that with you. And they would. And they are working to do that. And there's a lot of artists who were smart enough not to sign that contract, notably my buddy Avicii. And that's why Ash and Avicii absolutely loved Spotify because they didn't sign the contract. They kept it for themselves and they made an absolute killing from Spotify. And they were the highest grossing earners on Spotify for many years in a row. But back to the point, um, no, that, there's, that, that was an old, the journalist, tech journalists, as stupid as they are, totally misunderstood what I just explained to you that most fifth graders could understand, but they can't. And hence you read that unfortunately, misunderstood headline uh, or article, which many people also read. Now the artists totally understand it. And now artists, when they go to do deals, are like, hmm, I probably shouldn't sign away my digital streaming rights because that means Spotify. And I want to get paid by Spotify. So maybe I should just go directly to Spotify because, by the way, now Spotify has so much data. And this brings back a really interesting development about three months ago where Jack Dorsey, of all people, bought uh, Spotify's biggest competitor, Tidal. And why did he do that? Well, he is a fintech company called Square, which is a bank. And by the way, Square got its banking license, and within 24 hours, what amazing coincidence, 24 hours after being approved for its banking license to issue loans, that's what the whole point of the banking license was for, it can now issue loans as a bank, it acquired a streaming platform title like Spotify. So it could now offer loans to the artists on title. So because a record label, essentially, when you do a record deal as an artist, it's essentially a loan. And what you get as an artist is you get money and you give them your rights. 
that's the what your your collateral for this loan. And what's what title can now do is they they are a data company just like Spotify. And what Spotify will announce in the very near future is either they're going to get a banking license or they're going to partner with somebody who does have a banking license so that they can talk to unsigned artists and say, hey, unsigned artists, don't go sign a really bad deal with a record label that's going to take your rights. You keep your rights. We'll get, how much money do you need? Well, actually, we know better than you do. Let's look at your analytics because we're a data company. Here's your traction over the past nine months. Looks like you're doing good here. You're doing good there. Okay, that's great. We calculate uh, how much money will you need for to record some songs, maybe play a few shows. Okay, that's great. <clears throat> Here's a loan. Keep your rights. You own your rights. We're going to pay you now, you for your streams, not the record label. And we're going to, but in paying you, we're actually going to be paying ourselves back the loan. And when the loan's paid back, then we'll start paying you. And then maybe we might even offer you a new loan once the loan's paid back. Oh, and by the way, you might be worried about not getting enough exposure uh, to earn enough revenue to pay back the loan. Well, guess what? Don't worry about it because now our interests are perfectly aligned because we control the visibility and distribution and exposure that you're getting to pay back the loan. So to us as the bank, as Spotify, we control how fast the loan is paid back because we control the distribution and exposure and that controls the payment and that controls how... So it's a zero risk loan from Spotify's perspective. They know how much and how quickly they'll get it paid back. So it's it's a win-win-win-win for everybody, except very notably the record labels are now missing out of that equation and they now die. And that is because Spotify would love to work directly with the artists and the artists honestly would very much love to work directly with Spotify. The, the labels are, are an, an antiquated concept at this point. They're no longer needed in this model or this equation. And good, I say good riddance. They are absolutely horrid, vampire. Uh, <laughs> it is truly disgusting. Dis, uh, I mean... I, I have a difficult time thinking of a more despicable, disgraceful, um, stomach-churning industry. Is the is the is it the is the golden age of record labels over? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I could go that far, but I, I have been schooled by a special journalist. <clears throat> yeah, it's. Can it's I been, say something, Philip? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Jochen, musician, composer. Okay. Uh, the thing is that on one hand, you have the whole scenario of cutting out the middleman you just described. Right. And on the other hand, we have the big finance venture capitalism who do cherry picking with the big repertoire like Bob Dylan and everything. Yeah. And this is uh, happening. So yeah. they are under right attack now, yeah. from both sides of the scene. Yeah, exactly. I'm right. really wondering what's, what will happen. Yeah, all all of the artists are now selling their publishing rights uh, wholesale to all their catalogs. Neil Young just did, Bob Dylan just did, all the biggies are all doing it right now. Yep. <clears throat> but the thing is that they these these entities are all cherry picking. There is yeah. no developing, and these uh, turn music repertoire into assets like pig yeah. bellies and and uh, what else you know. Yeah. And this cannot be good. It will be horrible. I, I predict. I, I think. So. I think so as well. Yeah. That's that, that's so, a little over the head of most people in the room. Yeah. Go ahead, Alexandra. Oh no. So so I I looked at so the article that I read was actually um, I think it was like April of this year, uh -huh. but um, but I did so I, I found another article that explains the um, the distribution according to rights and I tweeted it out to you okay. or, or to the you know the the group. Yeah. Tech News Twitter account. There's like that. T, -T, 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 -T are, um, are allocated. 
So it's very, it was, it's interesting. Um, the, with the, um, the record label. So I, I personally know somebody who wanted to create um, a particular type of NFT. And then, uh, we were most of the way through the process and then realized she didn't own her image rights. That is what the record labels do. She couldn't actually oh, do. Oh, well, let, oh, I'm image. sorry. Did, did, did I not, did I not thoroughly make the case for how fucking egregious those slimy bastards are? Oh, let me continue. <laughs> so <clears throat> not only do they take your streaming rights, they want your likeness. They want your, they, by the way, it used to be at, at the labels. It, it got to a point in the nineties and in the two thousands where artists just started resigning to the fact that the labels are going to screw you. They're going to take all your money. You're never going to get a penny from them other than your advance. You're, they're going to give you an advance to go make your record and go on tour. And you'll never see another penny ever again. Even if you become a household name, like my friends, 30 seconds to Mars. And I just told the story yesterday or the day before <clears throat> how, when we went on tour with 30 seconds to Mars and I got arrested with Jared Leto in Las Vegas from the bicycle cops. You remember the story? So 30 seconds to Mars was on Virgin under EMI, which I believe, Sarah, didn't you work with EMI? Yes. Sir. Yeah. So. And at that very time. And, and you know exactly why. Yeah. So uh, Jared and his brother Shannon and 30 Seconds to Mars <clears throat> are a very high profile case. They even made a documentary movie about the fact of how they had to sue Virgin to do an audit to get paid because they had sold millions and millions and millions of albums and they're playing actual soccer stadiums all over the world selling out and yet they've never got a penny from their record label and the label's like nope you haven't paid back your loan yet nope we're not making any money yet nope no money for you and they're like what we're selling out stalker soccer stadiums all over the world how are we not selling enough albums to pay back this loan that you gave us because you have to recoup the loan and then once the loan's paid back then you start getting your royalties and so um yeah they they had they had a big lawsuit with Virgin and thankfully they had a Jared being in Hollywood, got a documentary uh, filmmaker to do, make a documentary out of the process. They made more money from the film than they ever did from the record label, by the way, interestingly. <clears throat> and it was only due to the pressure of the documentary film that they really got Virgin to cooperate and do the proper audit and um, have a they had a huge court case about it but by the way so i say all that because artists understand you're never going to get the labels to ever pay you a penny even if you're selling out soccer arenas and so the only money you're really ever going to get is your live show money which is the the person who um puts on the live show you do a deal with them and they pay you kind of a flat fee and a percentage of ticket sales and that's how you make your money as a musician is from your live shows well guess who wants that money now the record labels now want that money as well as part of your contract, that your contract is not only just your album sales, it's your revenues from your touring. Say what? That's, that was the only money I was getting. The 360 deal. The three, it's called the 360 deal. What about Brandy? One step further, I was told by an artist that because uh, the record company <coughs> trademarked her name, she even lost her name. <clears throat> Correct. But that's, uh, I, I have the ultimate to that. I'm, I'm trying not to laugh all the time. And since I don't have to be diplomatic anymore, <laughs> having <laughs> left that, uh, that, as I said, coming from the artist side, supporting and working forever. And it took me 
10 years at EMI and Virgin before I could even stop saying they and then realized <laughs> I got I can't I have to stop now I remember a time when it was like oh my god there's hardly 10% left with artists and now it's and the creators and now it's just crazier Tyler and most of you know I can go on about this forever but the ultimate was since uh, we're, we're this is exactly why I'm so passionate about the intersection being at the intersection and collaborations between music and tech to solve this crazy problem and yeah. just get rid of it all and start from anew. But in that process, we were by the fantastic uh, Björn Elvius from ABBA offered a, a, a house where we started our little music tech hub a couple of years ago. And even I didn't know that uh, Ab and this is, is in Stockholm on an island where they have the ABBA Museum and then they have the main uh, fairground called Grönalund, those who know it. So the ABBA Museum obviously owned and run by ABBA. Long story short, when we started to play ABBA in our music house, since I had the rights to that via my friends at Universal, where uh, their rights are, they came and said, you know, we are not allowed to play our own music in the museum without applying for licensing rights. So that's ABBA. <laughs> Don't have the right to play their own music. It's absolutely In their own museum. Yeah. In their own museum. <laughs> yeah. So Better, I just, just want to say quickly, um, I, like, I really, it was very, very helpful how you laid out the square thing, the lending, the money, that whole ecosystem. It was, it was brilliant. Thank you for laying that out. Yeah, but uh, Jay-Z, by the way, God bless him, he's one of those people inside the system who realized it was called Get Your Masters Back. Him and Kanye have been, you know, the ones who understand, like, ah, shit, we gave away our masters without knowing it. Metallica is one of the few who understood it because Lars is kind of a, a, a business whiz. And there's a few bands, you know, like Kiss with Gene Simmons. He's kind of a marketing whiz, and Lars is a, is a smart business guy. Very, very, very few bands um, navigated the business uh, angles correctly, in part because, and the reason our capital deal fell apart is because I understood it too much. I was like, no, what you guys are, what? You want what? Oh, dude, that's shady shit right there. And they're like, uh, you know too much. How about we uh, try and get you out of this picture quickly because you're going to ruin this party for us. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, I, it's, it's unfortunate, yeah. No, I think the reason that they like the, you know, the 18 year olds is not because they're so young and cute. It's because they're dumb as hell. I mean, it's easier to manipulate them, right? There's another another element, which is the music business, the music business attorneys and and managers are also more loyal to the labels than they are to the artists often with, with notable exceptions. And that's such a many, many, many people fall victim to that. Uh, game as well. It's a whole other conversation. But go ahead. But so Tyler. crazy, as uh, Tyler, I'm agreeing 100% because, as you know, um, it's the same people advising, and uh, yeah. and it's not even 18. At sometimes it's 16, and how can you be bound to that? Ah, uh, we we need to, we could have this. I would, would love a conversation deep dive for hours. Oh yeah, if we do. By the way, the deep dives. Sarah is the right per, who does the rooms. It's called the music tech. Uh, room and so follow Sarah if you want to get into the music tech stuff. Nobody's doing it more or better than Sarah is here in Clubhouse. So uh, great recommendation. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, uh, we Sarah. We're, we're, the, we're, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say that we now actually uh, with our friends at the Nordic Tech Club. So you'll find our events under there, and we do them as Music and Tech Mondays once a week, obviously at one o'clock, following the Nordic Tech Lunch. 
Sorry, was that Amy or was oh, it? No, it was uh, Alexandra. I just wanted to say we're having um, a music and uh, if the future of um, of music libraries and NFTs discussion later today at uh, ten, actually after this one, uh, ten Pacific. So if you're interested, I would love to have you. It'd be amazing. Oh, that's and awesome! Anyone. I'll join. Great. Yeah, and any of the Thanks. other wonderful music people here. But Sarah, that'd be fantastic to to get Thanks. your viewpoint I'll on be that. There. Sarah, uh, Tyler, I had a question. I'm still pretty slow trying to process the whole green room thing. Uh -huh. So, um, if so, there's green room groups, correct? Yes. And you're saying that it's green room and Spotify that own those? Yes. Okay. Okay. Finally, now, that got now you got so. it. Now you got it. Now yes. I got it. Now I got it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Tyler, one thing yep. that just impressed me about this whole thing is not the music industry, not Spotify, but it's you. You have started a... Hold on, I have a, I have a sound effect for that uh, <laughs> as you say this. Go ahead. And then you know uh, Elon Musk. You uh, have a company that Michael, wake up. Michael, Michael. That room took a turn. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, joke, I appreciate but, it, Cameron. But, uh, I, yeah, I want to come and meet you in November because okay. I think you come to Thailand. Cam, he just doesn't know how to take a compliment. It wasn't yeah. personal. Yeah, no, I know, I know about Michael's snoring. That was uh, that was uh, that was one of the best moments I had in Clubhouse because oh, first I didn't know who was it, but no, yeah. this definitely I would tell you this uh, in the tech industry. There is a need for leaders. And, you know, I came to this app same time you came in. Yeah. And you have done phenomenal. And I'm okay in tech and marketing, but you are one of a kind. And I just want to say that for people that, you know, have been involved in the conferencing, um, this is a conference app. It is yeah. it. There's no totally. other app. On that point, let me tell you something I've been telling my personal dear friends that I, I'm happy to share with the rest of the room. And this is kind of wild shit. So hold on to your chair. So there has been a fundamental game change in the past you know, due to Clubhouse in a way that uh, so far I, only I seem to understand and I'm happy to share. And uh, so here's what it is. I do big tech conferences. Um, and doing big tech conferences, you need, and Sarah's been to all of my conferences and has been played a significant role in those events, in fact. And um, in every September, we get thousands of people. And every month, we get 500 people packed into a room meant for 300 people and have done that for eight years. But here's the thing. Normally, when you do a conference, you need a venue that you pay money for because it has all the right seating, all the right uh uh, a, sta a proper stage and more importantly the audio system and you have to pay when you do a conference for an audio technician team to come in with all and rent all of the microphones at really inflated prices and hang all of the speakers and do all of this setup and you have to pay the venue an extra day for the setup and you have by the way normally three or four stages at the conference hall each stage has a different audio setup you're talking lots of money for lots of technicians and lots of equipment and lots of setup time. And now guess what? When I do my conferences going forward, which will hopefully we start again in August, here's what's going to happen. No more audio systems. No more audio technicians. No more setup time. No more expensive venue to pay 
I just saved myself an incredible amount of money, an incredible amount of time. And I can now, I'm no longer limited to doing events at conference halls. I can now do an event in a park or on a cruise ship, which is what we are intending to do. We've uh, taking over what's called the uh, Cilia Line cruise ships that sail around the Nordics, hold 1,500 people. <clears throat> and normally that would be uh, impossible to hold an event on a ship with an audio system because you can't build an audio system that works with everybody on a cruise ship. However, there's this thing called Clubhouse. You guys heard of this thing? It's an app. And, and people talk inside of rooms. And now you can have speakers on the ship, on the, somewhere on the ship, on a stage. All you do is build a platform for them to sit on with some chairs. And then they put in their ear pods. I, as the moderator host, put in my ear pods. Everyone on the ship puts in their ear pods. And everyone goes into the Clubhouse app. I put the speakers on stage on the platform on stage in the Clubhouse app. Everybody else on the cruise ship is in the audience, along with you. The virtual audience are also there. So we get 500 people virtual audience, another 1,500 people actual audience, five geniuses on stage, me as moderator, just like I am right now. And for all you know, everyone on the stage, we're all actually on a cruise ship sailing over between Stockholm and Helsinki in the archipelago, for all you know. And that's, I just saved, we can now do events pretty much anywhere in a park, in a forest, in a jungle, on a cruise ship without all of the expenses and burdens of a audio technician team and microphones and all that headache and bullshit. Saves a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of headache. And perhaps best of all, as a conference organizer, you spend a lot of time haggling and negotiating and chasing Bill Gates and, you know, all of the super high profile A-list speakers to come speak at your event. And they are normally too busy, understandably. Unless you own a private island in Thailand that you can, you know, offer as a as a sort of, you know, bonus for them being a speaker at your event. And now you know why that I have all these high profile people spending Christmas and New Year's at my place. But um, <clears throat> the now that they can participate as a virtual speaker from the luxury of their own bathroom. Uh, now you, as an organizer, can have much better speakers as well as part of your virtual conferences or what I, uh, yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. And Clubhouse deserves an incredible amount of uh, 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 kudos for enabling this, honestly. I think it will totally transform um, conferences going forward. Chris? Uh, Tyler, and, and I, I think I, that's... Yeah. I was just going to make a color commentary, sorry. Yeah. I think that's fantastic because it allows... Um, Amanda to be in compliance with the future restraining order Michael gets against her. Oh, great. That's a great point, too. That's a, yeah. Um, Yay. By the way, yeah. If you plan that one, you really should contact our friends at Clubhouse and make sure you, you get a virtual pod to deploy on the ship. You don't want to have 500 or 1,000 separate connections out from the ship from their Wi Fi. To, to 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 the central services you would like to have a local node for 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 the uh, for, for clubhouse no, you get on the boat decentralized no, no, no. clubhouse you get yes, you get one of the mobile carriers like telia or telenor or three telecom as i've always had for all my events to sponsor and as part of their sponsorship they just bring one of their remote um towers to cover all the bandwidth for the people on the boat but um base station okay. yeah okay. Okay. Can I add a few things here? Sure. Because hey, I Peter. pointed to, yeah, hi, hi, Tyler. I thought that what you have discussed here is to understand with the music contracts and everything else and with social shopping and just about everything, 
what it really is about is understanding what the system is right now, what is necessary and what matters, and what can matter in the future. And what it then turns into is business model design. How can you design things in new ways where, where the money is made and where it can be located geographically, uh, like corporate, uh, and, and a whole number of ways. You can start to move that around and design things out of the process in ways that few can imagine. But you need to understand the logistics of things, if it's physical goods or logistics in other ways. And when you start to do that, it will reform and redesign businesses in ways that people will get whiplash. And the audio that we are using right now, that is a thing that in itself will change the game. So what we are talking about is there are so many moving parts, but the people, the only people that really have a good chance of, of taking advantage, advantage of it are the ones that understand what things are crucial, what matters, and focus the attention there. Because there are so many places where you can end business models that it doesn't matter if you would be a winner there because it would be gone. So it's, uh, that is the bigger picture that I see what you're talking about. And it will happen in areas where most people do, cannot imagine it can happen. So anyway, those yep. are my thoughts. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Um, anyone with a hot headline to share? I'm going to start looking through the Twitter feed because there's a whole, it looks like Faraz just shared a whole ton of them. Alexandra's got one. Cheryl's got a bunch. Tyler, yeah. I just shared on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. The first, IBM had their first international quantum computer. They shipped here from the States to Germany. Mm -hmm. I think I tweeted that article out. Mm -hmm. What about it? Yeah. I well, I guess right it's now. the first. Yeah, yeah well, I guess well, it's just the first one they ship from the states overseas, uh -huh. and so yep. they have it set up in Germany. Yep, IBM has shipped its first quantum computer outside of the U.S. Uh, to Germany. I just retweeted that out to the Tech News Twitter account. Everyone can take a look at that at T N A T W, which is short for Tech News Around the World. And Faraz just shared a tweet uh, that I'm retweeting now about McLaren Racing. Going electric? Am I reading this correctly? Let's see. From McLaren.com, McLaren Racing announces new multi-year technical partnership with a company called Tezos to build NFT fan experience platform on the energy-efficient blockchain network. So uh, uh, true to the point that everybody and their dog's brother is getting in on NFTs, the McLaren Racing team. And by the way, it was announced that Porsche also was getting into NFTs. And this is just getting really weird, all of these... Uh, 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 unusual actors getting into NFTs. <laughs> um, well, it'd be are... cool if they, they use the NFTs so that the NFTs can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So it would be super cool if they got them, if they went to like the race course in Decentraland and then literally raced each other. They had, the cars have specific specs. I think this is being done on Calament um, and the cars have specific specs and they could actually have like a real time race. That's another thing that, um, that they're talking about doing like I, I when I, that's what I thought was going to happen with the Dapper Labs when they had um, like they were releasing things that are particular um, uh, players and things like that. I thought they'd actually end up using that interaction thing so you could build your own fantasy team and play other people and have 
real interaction because that's what they can do. I mean, that's that's one of the mo- most interesting uses of uh, mm-hmm. NFTs is their interactive uh, capability. Yeah. Um, Cal, you just sent one in about chip shortage uh, that I just retweeted from BBC News. Chip shortage addressed by the US-EU Tech Alliance. Manufacturing more computer chips in Europe and the US will be one of the key focuses of a new technology alliance between the US and the EU. And both yeah, sides I kind are... of thought that would come between the uh, Justin room and, and this room. Yeah. yeah. Um... Yep. And but this highlights the fact that this is not just a, a U.S. issue or an E. I mean, we have to work together uh, to solve that kind of stuff. So I just retweeted that one out. And then is Mobana on stage. He just shared a, a good article about um, G7, which just wrapped up things uh, there in Cornwall, U.K., the G7 partners to invest over $80 billion in Africa's private sector investment from countries, uh, including the G7 host. UK will help boost economies and jobs across the continent. But more interestingly, they announced the Build Back Better World plan to do kind of the G7 unified equivalent of the Belt and Road Initiative to give uh, developing countries an alternative to, um, you know, working with the, the BRI. Uh, and I thought that was that was truly, to me, perhaps the most interesting thing that came out of uh, uh, the G7 this year. Although there was a lot of things, and it was just revealed in the in the past twelve hours or so um, that the after the G7, President Joe Biden went down to Geneva to meet with one Mr. Vladimir Putin, where it was initially reported that they had a very productive meeting, and now the kind of the nitty gritty details of that meeting are coming out, and apparently. One Joe Biden told Big Vladdy Daddy that um, there are now, if if there's any more of these um, uh, infrastructure ransomware attacks, uh, shit's going to hit the fan, Vlad. And specifically, he Joe Biden said there are now uh, all of the critical infrastructure of the U.S., you know, like our food and our water and electricity and all of that kind of stuff. If that gets meddled with uh, again, Uh, He said, well, imagine what will happen if your oil pipeline between Russia and Europe, which is basically all of your money, Vlad, because that's how you make money is by selling uh, your oil to Europe. And it would be a shame if that pipeline were to get destroyed, would it not, Vlad? And Vlad said, yeah, that would suck. And he said, right. So let's not fuck around no more. And uh, we'll just leave it at that, shall we? And they shook hands and went on their way. And it will be very interesting indeed to see what happens if... um, if there's another ransomware attack in the next few days and, and how the and what happens to that pipeline. And it was also very interesting that during that actual meeting in Geneva, during the meeting, um, the six ransomware hackers were apprehended in Kiev. And um, I'm sure there will be a little more detail that comes out of the the characters uh, behind those uh, uh, arrests in, in the next days to come. So we'll keep an eye out for that, yeah. Anyone else? Security, anyway. Yeah, but Florian, any additional color on the ground there in Geneva? Again, the event itself went very, very well. But I mean, yeah. we had uh, massive people, you know, here attending. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the overall outcome was more, uh, let's say, less confrontational, more dialogue. Uh, even though, of course, this might not be. They know no know each other for long. Have uh, yep. had quite some harsh words, which a little bit changed during the dialogue here. 
in a more open way, trying to collaborate, you know, putting the ambassadors back into each country. But uh, the whole big discussion here was, and actually was one of the major concerns people had, is the security. Sure. And again, cybersecurity resulting into real security, real security issues online. That's why we have never seen such um, a display of, of, of uh, let's say, security on both sides in, in, in the city here. Okay. So, um, in, uh, by the way, uh, Nalormi just sent in a, a sm huge smashing headline. We've been talking about how the big governments are cracking down on big tech. It started with China cracking down on their big tech. Then the U.S. just wrote their five bills last week. Then the U.K. nearly simultaneously came out with new regulations aimed at big tech and then Japan and then India against Amazon. And now here's the new headline from just a few minutes ago. Russian lawmakers vote to force U.S. tech giants to open local offices uh, just as India had done. And by the way, the, the update today on that issue, and this is a new part of the game, is these governments are now forcing American big tech companies to have local offices with local people on the ground uh, so they can have a nice little stern talking to, uh, when things aren't going the way as they would like, because as it is right now, Russia is talking to Google and YouTube through email. And I, no doubt Russia would like to talk to them face to face, you know, just friendly, just sit down, have a little chit chat, you know, it'd be nice if you were here in person, you know, to have a little tea, maybe you can zoom. Yeah. No, no, no. We don't want Zoom. You need to be here in person. Russian lawmakers voted today to force U.S. tech giants to open local offices, you know, so you, we can uh, give you a nice little special type of tea we make here that our friend Navalny knows all about. And it's a very special tea. Yeah. Was it the U.S. that said waterboarding was not torture? <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, no, it was Dick Cheney. I wouldn't say it was the U.S. Uh, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, Sorry to be for fair. that. Yeah. Um, but Thanks for saving the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> the um, Russian lawmakers now force U.S. tech giants to open local offices. And I imagine the U.S. tech companies might tell Russia to go fuck itself, honestly. I don't know that they want to deal with that mess. Um, but again, you now even even further understand why Jack Dorsey is fantasizing about putting Twitter on the blockchain and decentralized so they don't have to deal with this nonsense. Uh, they do not. Well, if they do deal with it, Tyler, to your point, yeah. I, I, the, the risk or the reward is what, 100 million people in Russia, maybe if that. Yeah. And the risk mm -hmm. is uh, you're going to piss off. Holy shit. Are you going to piss off all of the Republicans and a lot of the Democrats, too, if you're seen to be uh, kind of kowtowing to the murderous regime in Russia, I don't think that U.S. politicians will like uh, potentially our data either being at risk or if not really at risk, the perception thereof, because you know that lawmakers won't be honest with messaging this to the public. Right. So check out the first paragraph. Russian lawmakers passed legislation on Thursday. That's today, everybody. That would oblige U.S. tech giants to open offices in Russia by January 2022 or face punitive measures, part of a push by Russia to beef up what it calls Internet sovereignty. Oh, the sovereign cloud thing. Oh, Internet sovereignty. What? Wow. Where have I heard that before? Interesting. Wow. Internet sovereignty. Yeah, I think we went on a huge rant about that about 48 hours ago. Did we not, Cal? So that's the big issue here is that these countries now understand they need to control the shit that's going down 
in not only on the ground within their jurisdiction, but also in the cloud, in the data layer, you know, in their airspace, in their cloud space. They want control of this shit. And if you're not going to comply, well, they've got local uh, alternatives that they would like to promote because they can control those local alternatives. And then they control the narratives on these social media platforms. Thank you very much, Twitter. So you either do what Big Blatty Daddy says or you get the fuck out and then we have our own local version, which can grow economically, less lots of jobs, and best of all, we control them. We don't have to worry about them meddling in our uh, very nice elections, our very fair elections that we have here in Russia, by the way. So um, very interesting indeed that now Russia is jumping into the uh, controlling big tech with regulation in a standoffish phase. of, And it does add more you know, interesting dimension to the, how India is doing. India did precisely this right in the last month where they're telling the big tech companies, you need to have people on the ground physically. And just to give an update in the last 24 hours, uh, Twitter has been the one that has been dragging its feet in putting feet on the ground. And you can understand because uh, you can understand their apprehension about putting feet on the ground because uh, recently uh, Delhi the, the government sent some seven gentlemen in uniforms down to Twitter's headquarter office to have a little cheat, a little tea time chat about a little uh, disagreement about how things should be done in India with regard to Twitter. And luckily for Twitter, the office was closed that day. But now you know why they want feet on the ground that they can have little tea time chats with when things aren't going as they would like. And um, so now Twitter in India it has been revealed in the past 24 hours or so, is now lost their safe harbor, Section 230-ish like clause in India, which protects them from being personally responsible or liable for what people say on their platform, uh, a luxury that you know basically every internet platform has had uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere, where platforms are not responsible for all the jackass comments that you see on YouTube, for example. Can you imagine if Twitter was responsible or... Yeah, Twitter or any platform in the U.S. was actually re actually themselves responsible for all the jackass comments that get made on those platforms. Well, that's Tyler, now the re that, that seems like such a big deal, but I I don't know if Monica's here or or yeah. anyone else is. Right. Does it is, has it? I mean, I don't see that the Indian uh, discussion has been huge about it. It should be huge. Like this is like a massive challenge for Twitter, right? Yeah, Monica, well, is that? They, but well, also, yes. I think they already cure that by banning Trump. So, so okay, one second, friend, one left. Johan. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Sorry. Monica. Monica. It's very big news, uh, Cal, and there are two sides to it. Uh, there is obviously the government... Uh, friendly side which is saying that uh, twitter really needs to get its act together and then there is the opposition including india uh, there is a, a specific organization which has been challenging uh, what uh, the government has put out there which basically says that twitter has lost its intermediary status but this organization says that this a particular judgment will not stand in the court of law because the intermediary status cannot be accorded to organizations uh, or social media platforms such as Twitter based on the law uh, of India. So there are both sides of the narratives that are going really strong and 
one side totally believes that the government is driving this huge opposition to Twitter because of the uh, anti-government stand that Twitter has taken uh, with regards to two main events. One has been uh, the case which Tyler has just mentioned, where uh, the seven or eight gentlemen uh, from the Delhi police actually landed at the Twitter office in uh, a neighboring state, uh, which is on the outskirts of Delhi, uh, asking to have chai or tea. Uh, with uh, Twitter officials and that did not happen. This is because one of the tweets from a uh, uh, spokesperson of the ruling party had been tra tagged as malicious or um, manipulated tweet. Uh, I think that was the tag of the tweet, uh, which led to this huge opposition. The IT minister, Mr. Ravi Shankar Prasad, has actually said this in as many words, that the harbingers of the freedom of speech uh, should be looking at what they are doing, which is referring to Twitter. And the second side is, so the second, which is probably the more grievous concern, and uh, pardon me if uh, anybody's feelings are hurt, uh, I'm just objectifying and telling you uh, the factual information. I am not adding any motion to this. Uh, there is a fake news related uh, piece that is going on right now where a gentleman in his very senior years was actually attacked. Uh, and this was reported by a person on Twitter who happens to be anti-government uh, according to how he is perceived. This led to a, the police filing a case against him and asking him to bring down this tweet. The police case actually specifically mentions that misinformation and fake information is being spread to uh, spoil the communal harmony of the particular city as well as the state. And therefore, this uh, Twitter India is actually liable to pull down this information specifically because it has been confirmed that it is fake news. The person who has put this tweet up has actually said, uh, has apologized and has said that he had the wrong information. Um, so these two cases actually are being taken uh, apart uh, depending on whichever side you are. And if you are uh, somewhat neutral, uh, you will see that both sides are going after each other. Um, and I'm not really sure which side you'd like to take, but whichever side you would like to take or don't, one thing is very clear that Twitter will have to take a stand. And if taking the stand means that they have to comply with the law, then the law is very clear in terms of its mandate. That's number one. And number two, in terms of its own local standing here, they've already uh, put out the jobs uh, asking for a chief compliance officer to be stationed locally, as well as a chief policy officer. Uh, the position had been left vacant uh, by Mahima, who had left. Uh, so she is now being replaced after her resignation, which happened four months ago, citing personal reasons. So all of that should now come to the fruition. So I'm not sure whether I answered your question exactly the way you meant it, but I'm trying to see both sides for what they are, so I'm not able to take either. Um, so just letting you know that. Thank you, Monica. Yeah, super interesting what's going on there. Yeah. Johan, you wanted to Justin. say something? Sorry, I interrupted you. Ah. Oh, sorry. Johan, uh, did, you, did, you, did you have something to say before Monica? Uh, no, I was just trying to be funny. I should stop doing that. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Go no ahead, uh, Justin. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I nope. have to say, but I will say okay. we are in talks to get a guest on Saturday to discuss U.S.-India relations at like 11 a.m. Eastern, which should be like, you know, nighttime in India. So if anybody wants to join, we can discuss everything there. Click on Justin's profile Justin. and follow follow his club Frost. there, Pol Politics Media 101. Uh, go ahead, Frost. 
Um, and if I can, uh, I'm sorry, Faraz, I didn't know you were. Faraz, please, yeah, to me. Justin, you know, there's, a, there's a headline that I sent out, and perhaps uh, Tyler, if you can uh, check it out, about cryptocurrencies being used as donations to get the GOP to uh, take the Senate again. Could you comment on that? Because I, I don't get that. Forgive me, I'm not familiar, too familiar with the... Uh, I, I will have to... Were you talking about that don't the donations are coming through cryptocurrency or crypto? Uh, you're, you're tagged on it. You're tagged on, on on the tweet. If you just check your Twitter, you'll be able to find it. <laughs> okay, that. I will try I've, and comment here real I've, quick. I've, I've got one. I've got one right here. Just Go wait, wait. Before you move to another one, can I just make a quick American-based comment regarding the um, the issue that Monica was just discussing? Yeah. There's um for those who know here the uh, in the U.S. Um, most of the platforms are protected by something called Section 230 of the uh, the Communications Decency Act of '96. Um, it is the only remaining clause of that act, and now it is coming up for review. That is the act that uh, or the section that protects all platforms, including this one, from being liable for things that third parties say if they do not moderate their comments. Um, and now that uh, there's a couple of acts that are now going through Congress that are trying to revise this because clearly that has gone amok. I mean, at the time, people were just post original when this came out, people were posting basically brochures um, as static pages online. There was no commentary or anything like that. Um, now they're looking at, um, if not gutting that, then at least modifying it so there is a way to sue in the same manner that uh, chemical companies can be sued for um, damage to the environment and things like that, like unintended actions. This is the same thing where they provided a platform for some unintended actions. There's a lot more to this uh, particular thing. It will have huge impacts if any alterations get made. But um, I just wanted to note that this is happening in the U.S. too. Yeah, so I wanted yeah, to but real I'll, quickly I'll comment, point I'll just, in. Let me just jump in really quick. And to Justin's comment on that, Justin had a political person on two nights ago that said that all of these are – um, bills have been introduced. It's unlikely anything will get moved in the near future on that one, Alexandra. And to give the audience more color on it, it actually the, it came from the TCPA. So it came these these emanated for a different paradigm. They emanated for the telco carriers, so that people saying things over telephone lines, et cetera, the telcos were not responsible for them. So as Alexandra said, the tension is between are the platforms responsible for whatever. He, individual user posts like eBay, can eBay, you know, track everything that everybody posts, counterfeit goods, can Clubhouse be responsible for what everybody says, can Facebook be responsible for what everybody says as a platform versus an obligation to moderate and be responsible, because if they are responsible, they're going to come down with some heavy moderation, and then that's going to hit the free speech um, paradigm on the other side. So the platforms are alleging it, 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 it would it, the platforms do not want to be in that position to have to moderate. And so their argument is that doing so would um, impede people's free speech because they just don't want to be there. But as Alexandra noted, it is very outdated writ and designed for a very different platform paradigm. So something does need to be done. So, so really quickly, Wait. just to piggyback on that very quickly um, with uh, the facts from the political spectrum, but also just to zoom way back out so everybody can understand what we're talking about. Essentially, Section 230, and this is going to be very broad, but work with me, people, is a law in the United States that gives immunity to platforms for the content that is published on their platform, i.e. they can't be sued for somebody saying to go kill the president or something like that. 
Uh, there are people that want to either repeal this law or replace it because it was made in a time before these social media platforms existed. So that's kind of the very broad why it matters. If this law were to be repe repealed, it would drastically change Facebook and Twitter and all of our social media platforms. Uh, many people believe that it would increase the amount that speech is censored because these platforms would have to get very sensitive to what is going on and really crack down on speech so they weren't liable for any violence, misinformation, disinformation that was spewed. Now, to the political context, there is nothing being presented in Congress that is legislatively viable. All of the bills that are being produced for Section 230 are what we call partisan messaging bills. There is no agreed path forward. There is no legislation that will pass between now and 2022. I would go as far to say it's very unlikely for anything to be passed in the next two to four years. Uh, but to Tyler's point, there is bipartisan movement on antitrust legislation where the most conservative of conservative members in Congress and the most liberal of liberal members agree not only on how they view the problem, the issue that is the problem, but also some of the solutions. So that's where U.S. Congress is kind of focused on. And our timeline for that could be around 2024. So I just wanted to provide that context. One other. Uh, so, really just a quick question, on, though. How, how, hold uh, on, Alexandra. Hold, hold, hold on, Alexandra. There's one other interesting component to that, Justin, which is that if the platforms are going to be held responsible, you better believe that would force them to identify everybody on their platforms. So because when people are anonymous, they're prone to saying jackassery type things. And if their identity is verified, they're much less likely to say things uh, of a uh, jackass like nature. And so that is very interesting because Stripe just announced 24 hours ago their identity program that would enable everybody to add identity to all of their apps very, very quickly, as Korea had already done. Korea forces everyone to sign on in a very authenticated way, <clears throat> and they have much less jackassery on their social networks as a, as a result of that. So it's already well known that this is would be another unexpected, unanticipated kind of consequence of that, that uh, it's interesting to contemplate how that would play out. Go ahead, Alexandra. Um, I was just curious. That, so they're private companies. I'm not sure how there's a First Amendment protection against free speech. Um, they can they can censor whatever they want. And you can see that Facebook's starting to do it with their moderators that are trying to um, to they, they hand go through like they hand, they they screen through all of these different uh, horrible things. There's a lot of articles on them and like mm -hmm. the lawsuits that they're filing against Facebook because of yep. how horrible their jobs are. Yep. Um, but they usually have a. Um, uh, they're trying to teach, you know, some sort of machine learning AI device in to um, to do this, but it's like years away. So they live these miserable, horrible lives for fifteen dollars an hour, looking at like, you know, horrible like child abuse and porn and stuff like that. Um, but but they're actively doing it, so um, it can be done. I think that uh, the companies just don't want it want to do it, um, which I have other issues with, especially because if you like, remember what happened with the um, uh, 8chan that uh, deplatformed um, uh, the some app that um, was the one that that guided the guy in the El Paso shooting. 
So there was a very extremist app that was on there um, or an extremist group that was on there. And um, one of the guys was like activated to go and shoot up a Walmart in El Paso. And um, following that, um, because several other killings were related to that particular group, 8chan decided to take them off of their their server and um and effectively you don't hear from that group again because you know deplatforming is effective um but since they can do that the the failure to do it i think is actually way more harmful than this um uh, this this the issues that people have concerning their speech and things like that i i just feel like um, it's resulting in death. Like some of these things are resulting in death and there were no legal arguments in any country that were sustained against 8chan for doing that. So I think that, um, you know, the the strength of 230 has been weakening over time. And I think we're like, we're seeing like, I, it's probably true. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm sure that Justin knows better than I do that um, none of these uh, acts are, are viable, but it looks like there's a an, an effort from a bunch of different uh, sides, including bipartisan groups that are trying to say this doesn't really work for us anymore. Uh, yeah, and to follow that, uh, that well, can I just follow that? That's Alexander just highlighted a big issue here, which is is when I said the free speech thing, it's true. These are private private platforms, and that's part of the argument that people are always asserting that they have that they are blocking free speech when they moderate, and they're not because you don't have a right to free speech there. And she pointed out that they do moderate to a certain extent, um, and so that. It's exactly true, and and something does need to be done there. But the other problem is probably that a lot of our leaders don't understand tech well enough to get something well, through. And to really yeah, just this, put a fine this... point on this real quick, there is talk in conservative circles about designating essentially Facebook and Twitter as news organizations, requiring them to basically not censor speech. And I can only point to the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and one of the dissents that he wrote. So uh, there, the free speech does matter because Jennifer said it's being misused by people who are against Section 230, who are against these companies. But also on the other side, the far most conservative, far right wing, um, I don't want to say extremists, but far right wing conservatives are trying to make the argument that because big tech has so much power, they shouldn't be allowed to censor any speech and they should be treated like, um, uh, news organizations, essentially. So, no, and my had, argument was, to, is that free speech to... doesn't apply to these platforms, Justin. Is, is it? As, as Alexandra said, they're not government. Free speech is only your right against the government, and these are private platforms. But anyways, go, it just shows the, the issues around this. Yeah, uh, a he related headline today in Hong Kong, the Apple Daily publication in Hong Kong. Um, HK police, uh, 500 HK police officers stormed the Apple Daily publication, which is a tech publication, blog, and newspaper. And five executives were taken away, including editor-in-chief Ryan Law and CEO Chuang Kim Hung. Officers were seen um, accessing journalists' computers, and all employees were barred from returning to their seats and work. But more interestingly, if you've been following this uh, as closely as I or my Friends in Hong Kong have Jimmy Lai, of course, the founder, which is one of Hong Kong's most high profile billionaires, had been was being stalked for many months um, by government operatives from the mainland and was recently, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
jailed, essentially. Um, and it's quite a sad uh, turn of events that a free press publication in Hong Kong, which is supposed to have freedom of speech, clearly no longer has. So it's a, quite a sad development there. Um, Justin, can you make a comment about this Republican campaign committee set to accept crypto donations? And the National Republican Congressional Committee will turn to BitPay and convert any cryptocurrency donations into cash. Uh, but interesting that they're willing to accept Bitcoin because that does imply that they might be a little more favorable towards uh, pro-Bitcoin type regulations. Uh, yeah, I think that this is smart. Uh, ultimately, Sorry, Dustin, to interrupt. I just want to make one point before you start because I think you should build it in. And how, what, what would your opinion in addition to that be of the fact that the SEC, although after having looked at this for ages, this, this article just come out today. But the SEC was looking at regulating um, everything around cryptocurrencies for a long while. I just find it a little amusing that around five days ago, the SEC came out saying we're not going to regulate Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So, yes, just, so, you know, so, so oh, but, but they don't because because the CFTC does. It's someone else has jurisdiction over thank, it. Thank, that is why they, they don't. Thank you, Alexandra. I, I appreciate it. Uh, okay, so, so I think there are a lot of separate things going on here, and I'm not going to get into a regulatory alphabet soup war here. Um, for uh, the campaigns, it's the F, federal, Frank, fuck, CC, that regulates campaign donations. But uh, I think that what's happening here is ultimately, for us, to answer your question, two independent things are happening. There is the government side, which we are discussing about cryptocurrency we're discussing about big tech antitrust we're discussing about freedom of speech in section 230 and those are government bodies that are regulating um at the federal level what's going on there and then here we have a campaign arm of the republican um i think it was what was it tyler the senate or the congressional Two seconds. Okay. Here it is. The, Repu the Republican campaign arm is to begin accepting contributions in cryptocurrency. They call it the Republican Congressional Committee. Okay, congressional. So that is the Republicans in the House. So these are lawmakers in Congress who write the laws that the federal agencies interpret and then go and regulate and basically fuck these big tech companies up with, um, essentially are now going to start accepting donations through Bitcoin. So there are two things going on here to Tyler and Faraz's question. Number one, this is a good thing if you're a Republican, um, maybe if you're a Bitcoin cryptocurrency supporter, in that it is a sign that the Republicans are beginning to modernize and they're beginning to accept new forms of campaign contributions and kind of get with the times. The second point, and this is typically going to be very broad, Democrats are seen as the party that goes to regulations and government intervention to deal with an issue. And Republicans are typically seen as the party that does not want to involve government, that does not want to overregulate and wants to create a landscape where private companies are more free to act because they believe it will um, stoke innovation and really add some gasoline to the fire that is our economy. Um, so to Tyler's point, I think that this can be seen potentially as a softening or as a um, paradigm that the Republicans in Congress are going to view Bitcoin regulation through. I think ultimately, to put a fine point, this is my personal opinion, this is my analysis of the situation, is that the Republican Party is going to be a party 
that is more favorable to less regulation. They will be more favorable to what the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency industry uh, ultimately want. And I think that this could be seen as a sign in that stance, Tyler. Yeah, I think I I think it's actually a little bit a little bit uh, even easier um, in that just that you're not limited to the campaign contribution, a hundred dollar max per individual. You can you basically they allow now they can get donations from individuals um, up to ten thousand dollars. And that's because of the tax reporting limit. So it's basically a bunch of you can get a bunch of anonymous donations uh, from people who don't have who aren't going to declare it essentially. And um, and they don't because ha- and they're the there's no way that for the party to actually go past it, because if it's from an anonymous wallet, um, you have to rely on the other person to um, on the donor to, to admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reporting obligation other than, of course, the tax issues um, until there's until $10,000 donation. So that means they go from $100 individual donations to $9,999 donations. And I I can see why they would like that. So Facebook in the Philippines now starts labeling state-controlled media uh, in a way that no doubt is pissing the hell off of of the government. And uh, Harry, are you there in the Philippines? Can you shed some light on this? Did you share this article? Facebook starts labeling. I I wasn't the one who shared it. Yeah. So there's like a whole, I can talk more about it. I'm in New York now, but... It Um, says uh, Facebook started tagging Facebook and Instagram pages of government media organizations as state controlled media uh, first reported uh, today. Pages including PTV, IBC TV uh, and other radio television uh, as Philippine state controlled media on their posts and page. And it kind of makes them look like they're not uh, true media and rather just um, voice uh, voicing, mouthpieces of the government. Mouth, mouthpieces of the government, exactly. Well, uh, which... the, the other issue is a couple months ago, I want to say late last year, um, there were a bunch of Facebook accounts, um, particularly from University of the Philippines students that got duplicated, um, or not duplicated, people were making aliases out of their names. So when kids take the UPCAT, which is the University of the Philippines College academic test or something like that it's the basically the sat for each college they put their full names and their names are publicly listed online so i think um one of these troll farms made like a whole uh like basically processed that data then made duplicates of their um of their names made facebook accounts and trolled them and then a lot of them were basically used as um propaganda machines and bots resharing posts of certain political okay. entities. Um, and it was crazy. So, yeah, that was like a whole thing. So is it, is, do you think that the Philippine government is trying to spread their message in this kind of uh, covert bot way uh, on well, Facebook? So f- and that's, that's why so Facebook f- is starting to label the these uh, posts as state-controlled media? So full disclosure, I'm technically a volunteer and staffer with um, Senator Gordon. Um, and, uh, there's a other stuff I could disclose on that in the back channels, but yeah. Um, but for the administration particularly, yeah, it's basically a mouthpiece of the government that there speaks at like 9 PM Philippine time, whenever he wants. And it's like not even scheduled. Like they tell you an hour before 30 minutes before that there going to make a statement. Mm. And, uh, it's basically, yeah, it's haphazard. It, it could be done better. 
Um, and yep. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I think, I think Tita D was here. Maybe she can speak up. Oh, she's not mm -hmm. here anymore. Anyways. That's right. So tw uh, on a related note, Twitter stock slips 25% from its 52-week high amid tussle over the Indian IT rules. And that shows there's actual real consequences to having conflicts with these very large countries like India. <laughs> yeah, the consequences. I lost a lot of money, Tyler. Yes, there's an economic consequence. Oh, you did uh, on your Twitter stock. Sorry to hear that, Evan. Um, I, I Now I see what you mean. Yeah, all Twitter shareholders, of which I am one myself. Um, and there's, there's real economic consequences to this whole Indian thing. Um, less so as you get into the smaller countries, but it, this is where India's got Twitter by the you know what, <laughs> by the by the purse strings, I think we say, right? Um, yeah, golden handcuffs, as we call it. Uh, other interesting, similar type of headlines. Um, the FCC proposes a ban on Chinese cameras and other products. The FCC moving to restrict U.S. markets from access to Huawei and other Chinese cameras for fear that uh, the data somehow gets back to Mr. Xi Jinping himself, uh, no doubt. Uh, and it's the same reason. There's another can. headline, Tyler. There's mm -hmm. another headline that can probably relate to that, which is okay. Chinese surveillance cameras. I think uh -huh. you guys have already retweeted that one. The one we've covered multiple times about the cameras in Xinjiang region. Uh, I don't know if you guys have covered it multiple times, but I th yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so there's facial recognition algorithms being used uh, in the facial recognition, the Huawei cameras that are being used, which the BBC uncovered and uh, confirmed. And um, um, that's an interesting development indeed. Uh, another similar headline, I, I, my apologies for not remembering who sent this in. Amazon's black employees say the company's HR department is failing them. In interviews with Recode, uh, dozens of Amazon employees detailed allegations of racial bias and discrimination on the job, and many of them said the company's HR department was part of the problem. And this article, like all the articles we've mentioned, are all being tweeted simultaneously in real time from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW, which you should absolutely follow because we often share headlines there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including interesting links when we go live in the new club what it was that app called spotify's green room uh, that we keep testing out so when we go live there if you want to know and join us over there follow the twitter account at tnatw and we do twitter spaces as well as we continue to test out that buggy ass program over that they got rolling over there at twitter um uh, just to check in on that we usually do that on the weekends which is you know just a day or two away so follow the tech news twitter account if you want to join us over at twitter spaces or at the new uh, Spotify green room when we when those rooms go live. But back to this article that we also tweeted, um, Amazon's H HR department in hot water over how it's dealing with its uh, black team members. Uh, the, the article says Amazon has never been known as an easy place to work. It's not uncommon for job candidates to ask Amazon recruiters about the infamous New York Times story from 2015 that reported corporate employees routinely cry at their desks. Amazon corporate managers have goals for unregretting attrition, basically a percentage of staff that should leave the company each year. Each, each, blah, blah. Sounds like a, a, a classic big uh, journalism hit piece against big, big tech and hitting them particularly in the and the, that old classic weak spot of finding uh, 
former employees who are unhappy with their boss. And uh, this is why big tech doesn't like journalism in 2021 and is now <laughs> investing heavily in producing their own alternative journalisms like uh, Clubhouse and like um, Substack and like, uh, as was announced by Andreessen Horowitz yesterday, what they call Future, which is their own new kind of media arm. Because boy, does big tech not like these art articles by journalists talking to former employees who are not happy. And um, because any, it's, I don't know, think what you want of it, but they've, it's, an, it's an age old uh, way to get clicks, essentially. Um, and um, far, I think there was a yeah. related story, not that story, but a related story that was done in the New York Times that interviewed huh? actual like current employees and former employees. Mm -hmm. And the statistics that they that they gave are basically that the the vast majority of the working uh, population is uh, like the warehouse population are all um, uh, they're primarily black and other people of color in, mar in smaller extents. And then it, like over 70 percent of uh, management staff is white. And the forced attrition is essentially um, based on Jeff Bezos's philosophy that people are generally lazy and he wants them out as soon as possible. They, he'd rather have a continually refreshing workforce of people who try hard at the beginning before they get jaded and start being lazy. Mm -hmm. So um, their complaints were also that essentially there's um, there are fewer than half the positions of um, executive positions or at least leadership positions in the lower part of the less the lower skilled workforce than there are even at something like uh, Walmart, which doesn't really like its um, its workers either. So there there are some some uh, anomalies at that company. They're definitely not pro um, Amazon. I agree, but uh, but there's there are several articles that have been coming out about it. I think. Yeah, there was one yesterday that uh, Amazon leadership is worried they're going to run out of people to hire because they have let go of so many people that in the near future there will be no more people to hire. That they fire people so regularly that people last about three days, and after you know several years of that, you actually run out of physical bodies to hire, which tells Did you, you all you three days. No, well, I mean, I'm exaggerating for effect. Oh, <laughs> is exactly. the the point is the same. The head, the point is they they anticipate they're go actually going to run out of physical humans to employ because of how quick the turnover rate is. So you can imagine it's uh, incredibly trivial to find disgruntled former employees of any color. I can find I could write an article tomorrow of disgruntled, red haired, left handed, blue eyed midgets that used to work at Amazon. And so what what are we to make of that article that midgets are angry at Amazon who used to work there? I feel personally attacked. Well, my point is, is my my point is by going after former black employees, they employ a million people. Of course, you can find uh, uh, 20,000 disgruntled former black employees. Does that make it a racial issue? Because that's what the journalist is doing by doing that. Um, if, if you're asking, I think that the racial issue is literally broken down because there's such a, a huge divide um, in the low skilled versus high skilled staff and the the way that the company treats their lower skilled staff, which may or may not have to do with ethnicity. But um, the low way they treat their lower skilled staff is just so very, very different from the way that they treat their management staff. Um, it comes out the net effect comes out as um, as as racially um, divisive.
Yeah, but the headline—the important part in the art of PR and journalism is the headline, because ninety-nine percent of people are only going to see the headline and take that and run with it and tweet it and be done with it. Which is Amazon's black employees say that the HR department is failing them. That's what—that's what where everyone's going to get from this article. It's an incredibly lengthy article, by the way, Um, and the the point of that is that I could write the article tomorrow that. Amazon's left-handed, red-headed employees say that the company's HR department is failing them as well, uh, or that the, geez, what is the what is the most albinos? The Amazon albino employees also say that the company's HR department is failing them. I can write that article. I can go find those people and interview them and get write that article. And so, is it are, is Amazon anti-albino? Because that this is my point: is it, you need to do it and it's kind of irrespective the fact that i can do that highlights the point that it i don't know that it that the uh ratio the racial ratio the racial ratio never realized that was a tongue twister uh of the senior leadership whatever it may be ultimately doesn't really i don't know that it's that big of a factor because it's affecting uh the, when you get to the point where you don't know that you have enough bodies to go through i, I i'm not i'm not sure that it's a racial issue at that point It seems like it's a more systemic issue beyond the race. <laughs> seems like I think the article uh, could uh, take a wider perspective. Perhaps that's that's the point I'm making. They could they could pick any demographic and it would still hold true. So why choose black unless you're really wanting to uh, make you know become you know it, it becomes racialized in a way that I don't know that it needs to be because you could you get my point. Um, there was an article yesterday or the day before about a mind reading helmet you guys remember this one and there's a further up today yeah, is it, yeah right. from yeah. from psychology today about can new high-tech machines read your mind and the subheadline is from psychology today that yes sort of and they're getting better all the time yeah well that's how technology works uh, my friend key takeaways it says tech advances that Interpret brain signals are steadily improving our ability to interpret what's going on in the brain. These advances are starting to approach the level of mind reading. Well, that's comforting, as if Google didn't know everything about you already. (laughs) It's now possible to reconstruct crude representations of what the brain is seeing or even imagining. Oh, well, that's comforting, isn't it, Michael? You dirty dirty dog. Uh, Mind reading machines offer special promise for helping spinal injury patients to walk again and locked in patients to communicate and wild now that it can, a growing list of mind reading machines that can that are restruct, restructuring mental images um, researchers in Russia and Japan are using scalp electrodes and fMRI respectively um, and then there's controlling exoskeletons with your mind mentally mentally type and produce synthetic speech from your mind, detect addiction, reproduce speech from throat electrodes. Wow. Monitoring drowsiness and fatigue, controlling drones with the mind. Oh boy. Brain to brain communication, a global team in Spain, the US, India, and France used magnetoencephalography, MEG, to pick up yes and no type brain commands from one person, then communicate those commands to the other person. Uh, so controlling drones and um, 
and communicate uh, uh, through a sort of telepathy through the mind. And it's getting interesting indeed. And in fact, I was at an event just before COVID watching people play soccer with a ball. They were sitting on chairs facing each other 10 meters apart with a soccer ball between them with mini goals at their feet. And they were moving the ball with their minds. They were playing soccer with their minds, controlling the ball. And it was uh, footless, handless, touchless soccer with the mind to move the ball. And you had to concentrate on moving the ball with your mind to the other opponent's goal. Truly wild. But th that is indeed uh, what's happening. Heyman? Well, that, that, exactly. It's, it's been a ongoing stuff. Neuralink, uh, uh, there's been a kids' games using uh, the Neuralink. So it's all good. It's been going on for a long time. Robots, everything else. Yep, and it, the it's an it, it it will keep going. By the way, and this is the thing that people seem to never fully absorb: the the pace of progress will continue and even accelerate exponentially until we are all in some fantasy virtual utopia um, endlessly, um, you know, fulfilling our wildest dreams in in some uh, full simulation fantasy you know land i mean that's where we are going that's where this is all heading and we will continue to go full speed until we get there that's just it's as simple as that and there's it's there's no real argument uh one way or the other um other interesting headlines at the moment financial surrealism this is a weird one in lebanon the currency has collapsed completely 90 it's lost 90 percent of its value in the last few months and so the headline from reuters is that the Lebanese now opt for beer over banks. Lebanese seek ways to use devalued money. Many use trapped dollars to repay outstanding debt. Central bank plans measures to reduce liabilities. Huge losses in financial systems still not addressed. Faced with the choice of leaving their savings stuck in the bank or investing them at a huge loss, some Lebanese people are opting to take a punt. For them, it's only sensible option in a financial system warped by crisis. Yeah. Sad story, but what beer, Tyler? I just—is it Budweiser or something really good? Um, no, it's a—it's a local beer. It's a—it's a Lebanese. So the Lebanese beer and wine companies—they're trying to put money in um, exporters because the money that they have. So people up through 2015, the um, the 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 strength of the the Lebanese pound was really strong, and then um, then the the value of the dollar. So they had a lot, people had a lot of U S dollars and they put the dollars in the bank, which supported the pound even further. Um, and then what happened is the value of the dollar dropped, which made the value of the Lebanese pound drop way more. And, um, and now the banks won't let uh, people take out more than, I think it's like uh, less than a third of the money that they have in their account. So they call them, those are trapped dollars and they call them lollers. Lebanese trap dollars. They say that there's a lot of lollars in there. If they take them out, they lose a ton. Um, if they try to cash them out, they lose a ton. So they're just stuck in the bank and the bank is trying to restrict anybody from getting anything out. So, and they put these metal plates in front of the banks so that literally like nobody can just drive through and grab stuff or whatever. So people are trying to figure out what they can do with these assets that they have that comprised a huge amount of their own personal wealth that they can no longer access and is dropping by the day. So what's happening is these local beer companies, and I think that the one that they featured is like something called 961 or something like that. Um, the, um, 
the there all these uh, companies are saying, look, if you invest with me, I'll take those trap dollars, basically like a right to them. So um, these they're taking basic they're they're uh, assigning their interest, even though they can't get it out. They're assigning their interest in those um, those trap dollars to these companies that they're investing in in exchange for um, some sort of, you know, interest in that company. And those companies can't take out all of the, the money, but they can take out a larger percentage because uh, they're also exporting and they're getting more dollars in. So um, that's basically, it's a workaround so people can get some money out of, um, uh, out of this, uh, the, the, their trapped uh, money. Otherwise, they'd have like the amount of uh, assets they'd have. Like if you couldn't access your bank account, how much would you have? That's the problem, right? Amazing. So they're, they're how do you, how do you these, know so much about this story? Sounds like you have very direct uh, knowledge of what's going on there. Do you, do you have Lebanese family or friends? No, I just read. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's um, Jonathan, you had a really interesting article about Texas and California. The heat wave. Earth to Jonathan. Are you there, Jonathan? I'm in California. It's hot. <laughs> Are you there, Jonathan? I, yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're in California and it's hot as hell. My How favorite summit left on clubhouses. Tyler's ground control of a major Jonathan right now. Come on, Jonathan. Earth to Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at you. We can see your, just flash, yeah. flash your, just flash your mic for us, Jonathan. Let us know you're all right. Wake up, Jonathan. Say, okay. I just wanted to say, uh, Tyler, we have a totally sunny sky, but suddenly we had the lightning and rain dropped like Caribbean. So. Oh my God! <laughs> all the sound files are going at once. So. Um, <laughs> Jonathan uh, sent in an article that Texas and California call for power restraint during heat wave. Texas and California urge consumers to conserve energy this week to reduce stress on the grid and avoid outages as homes and businesses crank up their conditioners to escape a scorching heat wave blanketing the U.S. Southwest. High temperatures were expected to top 110 degrees Fahrenheit, 43 degrees Celsius through the weekend in parts of several wow, states, including California. Arizona and Nevada, the public's help is essential when extreme weather or yeah, other factors right beyond beyond our control put undue stress on the electrical grid, said the CEO of California ISO, which operates the grid in most of California. Your grid's going down, y'all. You're fucked. You think it's hot now? Wait till the power goes having, out. We've been having rolling blackouts like for, that we expected for the summer. Yeah. We're by the way, I read, now, I now pay, pay attention to what's going on here. Your power went out due to the cold six months ago and now your power is going to go going to go out due to the heat six months later <laughs> for tyler they said so that that's yeah that that's the art you hit what you hit there is the actual what i heard about texas which is that when it happened in um <laughs> when it happened due to the cold the the regulators were saying or the people that ran the power were saying hey this was unexpected that we'd have this freezing temps in yeah. texas and so they yep. people were like okay maybe and now they're saying and we're going to do it again during because we're going to have 100 degrees in june and people are like that's not unexpected you guys suck and so like, didn't they all have a lot of those CEOs had to quit, right? And it well, um, by the way, California, didn't that happen last year? Oh, that's right. It did. Shit. Whoever could have saw this coming, folks? Who could have seen it coming? There's a news story, too, right? The Bitcoin. You guys have all 
discussed this lightly, but the Bitcoin is being pushed out of miners are being pushed out of China, and they're looking at Texas. Get out of here! Look, I sent you the article. <laughs> Get NBC. out of here! No, I, yeah, I'm, he knows. We've been covering it every day for about a week now, Heyman. Uh, and it happens to be led by a friend of ours who you know, who joins us on stage, who's been missing from stage because he's been a little overoccupied helping those Chinese miners relocate from the inner Mongolia, where most of those mining is done, to interesting little towns in Texas. And hopefully he'll be. He's in the U.S. He is in the U.S. I saw him online. He's my partner. Yes, indeed he is. Yeah, we saw him in <laughs> yeah, here briefly earlier today. Coincidentally, DC, DC. Uh, So uh, Wise, previously known as TransferWise, plans to go public on the London Stock Exchange in a direct listing, the first company to choose an alternative listing in the UK. And for those who don't know, TransferWise is indeed a very interesting company to watch as a massive, fast-growing fintech company with apparent no uh, end in sight. It's uh, growing like a weed and um, might be an IPO to watch. And by the way, if you use Robinhood, I believe you might be able to get pre-IPO shares as they are now trying to do with many uh, tech startups, uh, enabling people to get shares at the IPO price. Quite, quite an That's only for US, right? Uh, in Robinhood? Yeah, IPO. Uh, for I mean, U- IPO stocks over Robinhood is only in US, right? I don't know. Yes, I think uh, that's it. Yes, yeah. it is only for the U.S. Yes, uh, along yes. with that, yeah, it's also a membership base too. So you'll get it. You get IPO access for a certain amount of time, and then you have to buy into the membership as well. I have it. Uh, kind of speaking of that, it looks like um, TikTok also looking to do an IPO, um, which is an interesting development as well. Another incredibly fast-growing startup that you're uh, you. If you don't know about it, your kids certainly do. Um, one of the fastest growing apps on the planet. Um, I'll pause there. Uh, Did you see. explain what TransferWise does, Tyler? TransferWise actually... is a great innovation. Basically, banks charge you and uh, Western Union in the U.S. and these money transfer services charge a lot of money to transfer your money. And this is most used in the in the use case of remittances, which means people making money in one country and sending it to their family or loved ones in another country. And they get hit with an unusually high transfer fee, you know, somewhere in the, you know, eight, nine, 10 percent area, which is, is just kind of egregious. But uh, it is what it is. And then TransferWise came along and said, hey, wait a minute. We got people in America sending money to Europe and we got people in Europe sending money to America. What if? We could cut out the middleman and enable those transactions on a peer-to-peer kind of basis and um, let the person in the U.S., um, you know, they could cut out kind of the exchange in the middle. And it's a really clever innovation, which basically avoids a lot of the fees. And so they're able to um, do this at scale and uh, do make these transfers happen, you know, at 1% instead of seven or eight percent and the really i think the coolest thing about it is is they show you when you go to their app you type in how much you want to send in which currency and it shows you what all the other uh traditional solutions would charge you and how much they're going to charge you and every time it's very much dramatically lower and it makes uh, for a very positive user experience i've used it dozens of times myself i'm a happy user myself 
and um now yeah, they're they're just booming it, it, exactly it's just um uh, i know cheryl and i are big defenders of uh fiat currency because people attack fiat currency due to remittance fees and this is just an example don't need this cryptocurrency to to get around remittance fees just want to say transferwise is a great option that uh allows the u.s to maintain our uh currency hegemony all right on that over to you tyler yeah no okay. justin you're absolutely right like no i just want to so you can the the, the banks are uh, disgraceful right in terms of how they made money out of these you know uh out of friction between the countries and what transferwise is doing is literally um uh, you know, removing the friction and you don't need cryptocurrency for that, right? You're just getting efficiency in that system. Um, and, and, and that's how you get the customer proposition for that. And as our friend Dave would tell us, uh, none other than Jesus himself, uh, tipped over the money changing tables at the temple. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus hated the money exchanges, uh, the money changers. So, uh, Put put that. But did, in your, did he hate? Uh, did he hate Bitcoin? That that was a question. No, no, he loved Bitcoin, and that's why he uh, came back as Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, to... <laughs> yes. Now look into it. Um, and it and it may or may not have something to do with the fact that Jack Dorsey showed up with a tie dye shirt and a long flowing beard at the Bitcoin Twenty One <laughs> conference in Miami last week. Um, yeah, so this is a really interesting article that totally counters the trend we've been diving into late, lately. Exclusive that Google is downsizing its health team and moving employees to Fitbit as part of a major reorganization. Google's uh, young health division um, now, uh, according to employees, is uh, downscaling. I personally don't believe it. I think it's a head fake. I think they are going full steam in health and they just want to get the pressure off of them from the, as we've been discussing here, part of the reason I think that the regulators are all ganging up globally on big tech is because they realize big tech is coming for their medical systems and their education systems. And it's time to uh, put them in their place before they get too much control. And so maybe it's not a surprise then that Google today is announcing, actually, on second thought, we're just going to scale down on this whole medical thing, you know, you know, just, yeah. just, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be used for health purposes at the end of the day anyway. Yep. So, I mean, just 24 hours ago, we discovered more evidence that they were going whole hog into health tech. So for them to announce today that they're scaling back I don't buy it myself. But I guess we will see. Time time will tell. But on this issue, here's two more related headlines. The U.S. antitrust legislation would ban Apple from pre-installing its own apps on iPhones. Apple would not be permitted to sell iPhones with its own goddamn apps installed under proposed U.S. antitrust legislation that was released last week. Representative David Cicilline confirmed the self-preferencing ban in a discussion with reporters detailed by Bloomberg. Rather than pre-installed apps, Apple would have to offer other app options for consumers to download. Right now, iPhones come with a range of free Apple apps, uh, Apple-designed apps from Messages and FaceTime to Calendar and Notes. Here's the quote. It would be equally easy to download the other five apps as the Apple one, so they're not using their market dominance to favor their own products and services. And indeed, as somebody mentioned earlier, 
This is nearly identical to what happened with Microsoft when they got to about a 99% market share with Windows operating system. And they had the, their browser pre-installed uh, Internet Explorer. And so the Internet Explorer, even though it was a shit browser, became the default browser for most users because it was a default browser in 99% of operating systems. And it killed Netflix, uh, uh, Netscape, designed by um, one Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz, the largest investor in Clubhouse. And then the antitrust um, came into play. And it's interesting to see it all come back again. But this time, um, yeah, Apple, interestingly, Apple does not have uh, a monopoly uh, in the U.S. In fact, Android is far bigger than Apple in terms of, uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a whole different interesting dynamic this time around. But another related bill uh, is that the Senate bill would make it easier to cancel subscriptions online after a free trial. A bipartisan group of senators introduced a bill Wednesday. And by the way, whenever a, anything happens in a bipartisan way in Washington, D.C., uh, that means uh, it's, it's nearly impossible to get the Republicans and Democrats to agree on anything. Uh, Justin, I think, would agree. Uh, but they do agree they want to limit big tech. So that's what's so interesting about this. A bipartisan group of lawmakers introduced a bill Wednesday, yesterday, that would make it easier for people to cancel online subscriptions after a free trial period has ended. And for once in my life, I'm going to applaud politicians in America. I, that I, I, I actually well, like they're, this. They're, they're... They're probably subscribing to too many porn services, Tyler. And the, by the way, I got to say how difficult it is to unsubscribe from um, GoatLovers.com. It's just it's it's really <laughs> it's really difficult that one. It, it, you probably know what I mean, Evan. the The subscription based uh, business model is exploding, and it's largely because the deceptive practices that some companies use to lure and trap in customers. Damn right. Um, when people sign up for a free trial, they should have to, they shouldn't have to jump through hoops just to cancel their subscription before being charged. I couldn't agree more. And it's about time we started penalizing these greedy bastards for tricking us into and, and not letting us out of these subscriptions. Exactly right. And kudos to all of the, uh, American representatives involved. Uh, that's fantastic news. Um, Electric airplanes, uh, you would think they're booming. They're not. And that's why electric airplane pioneer pivots to cargo drones. Slovenia's Pipinstrel pivots after Uber partnership fades. Air traffic scene posing greater challenges with people aboard. So rather than try and be a autonomous uh, airplane company with people. That's where shit gets complicated when you start moving bodies around. So they're going to be a cargo drone company. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of shit to ship uh, with e-commerce booming as it is and going into social commerce. And as it says, their uh, partnership with Uber didn't quite pan out. So they are pivoting to cargo. Uh, but there's just so much shipping to be done that uh, there's a lot of money to be made moving boxes around these days. So, uh, Hmm? Go ahead. The 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 air taxi is too. It sounds like you're having some mic troubles there. Sorry. Um. So no, like, uh, do you guys know Volocopter? Yep. 
right? So even Volocopter, they're shifting away from the air taxis and they're go they've got their own cargo drones deployed as well. Our clock is on the application as well. I'll see if I can bring them in. Cool. Thank you for that. So a, a startup called Clarity, which develops security tech for industrial companies, raises $140 million uh, ahead of an IPO. And as you can imagine, uh, being a cybersecurity tech company in 2021 is damn good business, everybody, um, because of all of these hacks that are exploding everywhere. That entire sector uh, is booming. It's hard to fail as a cybersecurity tech company in 2021. Google is developing a controversial new AI product, as if they aren't all controversial, right? This one is known internally as Tivoli which aims to teach foreign languages through, get this, your Google searches. They're going to teach you foreign languages as you use Google. Google CEO Sundar Pichai last month previewed an artificial intelligence model that he said would enable people to have open-ended conversations with technology. And indeed, we watched that demonstration live together. It was part of their Google I.O. event. Remember this one? where they were talking to a paper airplane and then the paper airplane was talking back as if it was a person. And they said, so paper airplane, what's it like being a paper airplane? And they said, well, you know, it's nice. You get to feel the wind under your wings and blah, blah, blah. And it was a really bizarre demonstration. And now it's being reported that, um, uh, yeah, Sundar Pichar gave this artificial intelligence model demonstration that he said would enable people to have open-ended conversations uh, with kind of the Google Assistant. But current and former employees who have worked with the language model say that enabling coherent, free-flowing, and accurate dialogue between humans and technology remains rather difficult. And indeed it is. It'll take, oh, geez, another two years, as if we can't wait two years now for these groundbreaking technologies to happen. As a result, Google is taking a more incremental step in controversial AI by or conversational AI by preparing to teach foreign languages through Google searches, according to people involved with the work. The project, referred to internally as Tivoli, grew out of its Google research unit and is likely to be rolled out later this year. And just a little tip for y'all. This is actually a very clever trick that Google's used many times over the year, and they are not alone, in getting you to teach its AI foreign languages uh, under the guise that it's teaching you foreign languages. And so, <laughs> so when you use Google Translate, actually, it's learning from you just as much as you are benefiting from it. And it's uh, part of how uh, Google continues to um, improve itself uh, due to all the user input. But very interesting, all, all the less, because that demonstration that they gave during Google I.O. was quite impressive of talking to the future of Google Assistant in a really impressively human-like way, very, uh, you know, more intelligent than most of, than more, uh, most of the people you'll meet in Clubhouse, uh, no offense. But um, according to this article, uh, uh, interviewing current and former employees, it's going to take another couple of years. And so the current baby step is teaching you foreign languages, which if you know a little about the inside scoops of how these things work, it, it, it indicate uh, previous historical context would tell you that it's actually they're going to need a little more training and they're going to use you to train it under the guise of teaching you foreign languages. Uh, anyone with a headline they want to jump into? Popcorn yeah, stuff? I have an yeah. interesting one um, coming Can out of JC? Facebook. They're saying they are now starting to do advertisement in virtual reality. 
yeah, uh, which I found very interesting for developers and it for is. what uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Boz said. They want to really expand discovery for users and also potentially lower the price of any future Oculus Quest um, devices to make it more ubiquitous. Uh, so that's very interesting. Exactly. One question that I have probably for the group is whether Facebook is going to take the anti-Apple approach and and not be so anti-developer with the thirty percent, um, you know, fiasco that they had on on the face on the Apple side. Exactly right, and uh, this is where that point gets brought home in a very big way. It, we when we met seven hours ago in the other time zone, it turned into an hour long discussion about the future of v, uh, VR. Uh, and uh, advertising in VR and shopping in VR because those things kind of go hand in hand. And <clears throat> the company that is piloting this with Facebook is a Stockholm company called Resolution Games, where it turned out I have a friend who works there and I pinged him on Facebook to see if he would join us. And he seems apprehensive as Swedes are incredibly uh, shy in in terms of public speaking as this friend of mine very much is uh, himself. Uh, but hopefully, I'll chat with him a bit more on Facebook and uh, calm, calm, calm him down and assure him that we're all nice, friendly geeks over here. And uh, hopefully, he'll join us and give us a little in uh, uh, scoop that uh, no one else is able to get about this new pro- pilot with Facebook about running ads inside of their game because they're they're the only app that uh, Facebook is doing this with currently. But um, you bring up a really interesting point because this, in this case, it's Facebook showing ads inside of VR in this particular game, which no doubt will explode. And we, no doubt we will see tons of ads in VR apps of all kinds, games and productivity apps of all kinds, because, and that's why Facebook is selling their hardware at a major discount, right? They sell the Oculus um, at, you know, 300 ish dollars, three, Three ninety nine, whatever, and it should be a lot more. And they can discount it because they know they're going to make a bunch of money from the ads that they show you in this device. And they do the same thing with the phones, by the way. Android phones, very notably, are are discounted because of the the ads that are bundled in with the the device in a very similar way. But what happens now when we were talking about Apple and their thirty percent cut? When you are walking around town in your shiny new Apple headset and you see a pair of shoes in a shoe shop and rather than buy the shoes from the physical shoe shop and you can click on this digital shoe inside this physical shoe shop and buy it from some online seller and have it shipped to your house in 30 minutes, would Apple then, because it's an Apple headset, would Apple then want a cut of that sale? Because in the, um, yeah, that that could be very interesting. I had not really thought of that, that they might force that. If you're going to benefit and you only discovered this digital VR shoe for sale or AR um, because you were wearing their Apple goggles, should Apple not get a cut of that e-commerce action for enabling that augmented reality e-commerce sale? It's a really interesting thought. And in, I imagine they will take a cut of that sale. They're going to force whoever does that sale. And again, just to unpack this, this is a wild idea. You walk into a shoe shop, you're wearing AR, VR goggles. And it's a normal shoe shop. You see the shoes on the wall. They have price tags. 
you if you're wearing the goggles, you also see magically floating next to the same shoe that you can buy that exact same shoe online right now with one click at a 30% discount from an online seller who will ship it to your house in an hour. And in that context, you're very likely to save the 25% and buy the the shoe and have it shipped to your house in an hour, right? Because the online seller, it doesn't have to pay the expensive high street uh, uh, price of having a physical store on a popular street. So will Apple want a little cut of that sale by enabling that sale? It's a really interesting thought. I had not, uh, not really occurred to me because I was always wondering now that Instagram and TikTok and everybody's trying to get into e-commerce and be the next Amazon, right? Facebook as well. Would not Apple want to be the next Amazon as well? And how will they get there? And it was assumed that they might eventually get there through a, a VR world. Like you can imagine Google Maps or Apple Maps, where when you're cruising around on the map um, and you click on a store, that that store today has the uh, hours of operation and some reviews and the phone number and the address and whatever. Why not? Let me buy the stuff right there inside of the Maps app. And Apple has a really nice map apps with all of the stores. And couldn't those stores be, couldn't that be an e-commerce portal that lets me buy the contents of that store right from the virtual maps? And if it did, and I used to think that's how Apple would get into the e-commerce game. And now I'm thinking they might get into the e-commerce game through AR, through their AR goggles. What do you think, Chris? Think about the back end, though. Think if you're that retailer and you hate doing inventory and you now have a tool that can look on a shelf and identify objects and throw that inventory onto Apple Maps and sell it through the VR glasses. And Oh, that's dope, too. Um, get oh, that I... juicy, juicy, sweet, sweet data. Yeah. Which, by the way, there was um, a, somebody showed a headline uh, five or six days ago of somebody doing inventory with a VR headset uh, in, you know, and looking all around the shelves and in real time doing, you know, inventory control and, and, and input, you know, in a very automated VR fashion. I was like, holy shit, that that's going to save a lot of people. You guys are opening up another Pandora's box, man. I mean, you yeah. add in blockchain and last mile delivery and all that. I mean, you're completely automating an entire system now. Yeah, it's getting crazy. We're all going to be sitting back in our lounge chairs with our 64 ounce sodas you know in our um simulated... don't forget the monitor don't forget the hd I, monitor right in front uh, of our face i already am what, what's what's changed you've you seen, you seen the film <laughs> yeah oh you've yeah. seen the we're... film wally remember we Wall-E? are we are on our way yeah the, yeah, what do you mean you film? That is, that is the... Evan, it's like what's changed. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I do. We are going full steam uh, ahead. Yeah. Can I comment on something that came up about 10 minutes ago, but I was driving yep. the reception with crap. So do so it. you made me think of what... I think it was it TransferWise or Wise.com you were talking yes. about with international transfers? Cool. Yes. I wanted to check because my reception was crap. So I, uh, I use that in the business, which is cool. And I love it. I love it. Um, the interesting thing is it did make me look back at the fees. And so to transfer $50,000, for example, which is a typical um, amount I might transfer in the business, costs at the moment um, $200, $200, whereas right now to do that on Bitcoin is $2. So it's all very well to say it's cheap. It's not cheap when it's 100 times cheaper on Bitcoin. Just, just FYI. Ah. <laughs> they're, they're the facts. 
Uh-huh. They're the facts as we stand right now. So, so well, why is this cheap? Bitcoin's a hundred times cheaper, uh, and that's is, the base layer, by the way. What and is then the if you pers- do that on Lightning, it's another, another hundred times cheaper. Is there, <laughs> is there any so percentage? Yeah, yeah, but Ben, but, we, need to, we need to compare Apple for Apple, Ben. Right? So then there's a so you convert into Bitcoin. Then by the time you do the exchange rate, um, you know, Bitcoin moved about three percent. I mean, or two percent. Yeah, right. yeah you, you need to you need to hedge. You need to hedge. You, know, you need to hedge with some futures uh, on the CME, sure. And uh, and there's some other costs involved. And there's, you, and there's I'm a cost just saying, like work. Yeah, yeah. There's tax. a couple of orders of magnitude difference in the cost, though. That's just just worth and noting. And that's that's on. Tax. Yeah, yeah. I, I should sure. also mention that um, I, don't, I, I love paying tax that on Swift games, is though. Swift is not that more, much 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 more than right? I mean, come on, guys, you know, let's just compare Apple for Apple. Let's just not, you know, give misinformation. Bitcoin is great if you stay within that ecosystem. You know, we're talking about paying yeah, people's absolutely. salary. You know, so, so transfer-wise is, you know, yeah. I click a, click of a button. Someone in Sri Lanka, you know, will receive instantaneously at times sometimes. Sometimes, you know, um, within uh, 24 hours. Fees are very low. You know, um, uh, I mean, I pay about $10, $10 for, you know, $2,000. Um, dollars. Uh, so, and and the f- currency, there's no currency risk. Well, that moment that you execute, you know, uh, it's locked. All right. With yeah, yeah. Cost. No, it's good. It's a great service. But we, as, as a company, who are considering moving to paying all our partners in in uh, crypto and all the implications of that, we haven't done it yet. It's, it's interesting to note that it's a hundred. It's currently. It's not apples for apples, as you say. You need to consider the your on and off ramp fees on the crypto. You need to consider the volatility or your hedging costs if you don't want the volatility. Load of other things to consider. I completely agree. But I just wanted to note. Uh, I didn't realize there was that much difference. I didn't realize Wise was that expensive. Um, Last time I looked at it, yeah. it felt really cheap, and now it feels really expensive. So just just as a quick side note, that's all. But I take your points it's about in, apples for apples. Apple, uh, Ben, so like $50,000. So, you know, uh, let's say you want to convert that to sterling. Sterling daily moves about between half a percent to one and a half percent daily. You know, just work that out. That works out to be, you know, what is it, $5,000? Sorry, $500 to a, you know... Um, thousand uh, dollars, you know, just on the exchange rate itself, right? So, so I think it's uh, you know we need to be very yeah. No, I agree. The, you know, Bitcoin is great, but until uh, mass adoption. Oh no, you know, exactly. Apple, you've got to make a fair you've got to make a fair comparison. But when it's uh, two orders of magnitude difference in fees, just worth just worth noting as well. But there's a fee to go from fiat to Bitcoin, typically, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, yeah, there is, and that's about point three to point five of a percent, something like that. Yeah, so you've got to factor on, that in absolutely, which is similar base, to the transfer point, fees. What is the what is the Coinbase Pro fee? Point five percent. Yeah, in most countries. And, and what is Revolut? Do you know that? I don't know off the top of my head. I'm afraid. Be careful with Coinbase Non Pro. I don't know why they think it's okay, but they charge five percent. Right. <laughs> they just charge ten times as much, just randomly. Hey, you're a you're a newbie retailer. Let's just let's just charge you ten times as much, not justified. Which is so. My question, Ben, I wanted to ask is that Swift network is capped, right? Is is transfer all these as you scale up to save hundred thousand dollars? Does it stay flat at uh, two hundred dollars, or, uh, or is there a cap? Because, because Swift. So I personally do do a lot of business funding startups, etc. Fifty thousand dollars, I would never consider Bitcoin because. Um, you know, I know that with the Swift network, yes, it takes a couple of days, but this protection is built in. If, if I make an error or something happens, you know, the bank will follow through with it. But, the, you know, my bank caps the Swift at like, I think, $70, $80, you know, so, and that's so, a really big advantage. 
So once you get up to about $1,000 on WISE, then your fee percentage stays at 0.46%. So 1,000 is the same percentage as 10,000, is the same percentage as 100,000, is the same percentage. Well, it starts to tell me off when I try and go to a million. So that's just because I haven't got a million in my in my WISE account right now. So yeah. yeah so my you wouldn't, I wouldn't use WISE transfer $1,000. I'd use a SWIFT network because it's capped. I wouldn't want to go beyond my, my of course, there's other, other attributes like speed, um, and protection, right? So uh, I'm, I'm not protect. I'm not like defending the SWIFT network with all cool banks, but like I'm just pointing that out that different tools for different different uh, applications. Yeah, sometimes there's a place for it. Exactly. Yeah, shop around. I guess is the, the answer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, other. By the way, Mabwana, there were, you shared a, a tweet a bit ago, a headline of something happening in Africa. Yeah, yeah. So, and also, Tyler, I'm using Club Deck now. Finally, I uh, hope this mic is coming across well now and there's no echo or anything. But I was playing around yesterday with Club Deck and I think it's working correctly, I think. Sounds uh, pretty good. The yeah. point I wanted to share was a full disclosure this is a portfolio company. And, um, and, I, and I'm going back to some of your our, our earlier discussions about future mobility. Uh, a company called Fleck Club um, is uh, in an article by Money Web in South Africa, which is a pretty reputable uh, finance uh, um, um, publication. Uh, the future of mobility uh, as far as cost, cost subscriptions. And so the founder, Tinashe, uh, is an ex-Uber uh, employee. He was actually the vehicle manager for EMEA. Uh, and we backed him um, in, the, in the seed round. And now he's uh, taking off in South Africa with cost subscriptions. So ideally, you subscribe to a car and they deliver the car to your house. Um, and they work with actually with the, with the dealers, right? So they're not disrupting, uh, you know, the status quo in that they're, you know, taking out the dealership. They're actually working with the dealers and financiers to actually bring cars to this new platform of Flex Club and essentially delivering the car to your door. And then you drive it around. And um, for my last trip to South Africa, I noticed that there was a pattern shift. And people who were, obviously COVID has accelerated this. People don't want to be in like 20 Ubers in a business trip in a one week. They'd rather have their own car and go around uh, and then, you know, community, deliver it to their door and then they deliver it wherever they want. And so, yeah, so you're just showing this trend that's taking off in South Africa around future cost descriptions um, with Flex Club as one of the main companies that, uh, that are doing this in South Africa. They're also, by the way, active in Mexico, uh, but they're more there um, on ride sharing. So, yeah, that's, that's why I share that article. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, in other international news, this one will make some people smile here. The Russian cosmonaut says, international cooperation in space is vital. And some of you might be smiling uh, because you know that uh, the Russian uh, space agency leader not so long ago um, was teasing America for not having been in space for quite a while and saying... Um, that they could perhaps use a trampoline to get back into space. And so when Elon Musk uh, reused his rocket, he said, did in a press conference, made a comment to uh, uh, the trampoline is working. <laughs> and now that uh, SpaceX is kicking Russia's ass and making it look like a silly little you-know-what, uh, Russia now, interestingly, has done a complete 180 and says uh, uh, international cooperation in space is vital. And to that, Elon Musk would say, yeah, go you know what yourself uh <laughs> we could give two squirts about your interest in space as we will can now... you can you get starlink in russia can you buy a, a starlink spacex receiver very interest no in fact russia has said already even before it's available that they will be punishing anyone who utilizes starlink 
which touches back on the very interesting point of the headline that was just a bit ago, that Russia's now also now just passed in the past few hours, new legislation that requires all the big tech companies to have local representation on the ground or else get out essentially. But uh, simultaneous to that, the big tech companies, uh, not only SpaceX and Starlink, but Amazon is also planning a global satellite uh, internet service. And so you now understand how countries are correctly concerned about the power of America's big tech companies who are not only going to be providing your social media, your communications, your productivity apps, your e-commerce apps, your entertainment, but also your goddamn internet. So if you don't like it, um, yeah, you need to figure out your own internet problem there, Vlad, um, because uh, you're going to get you're going to get behind. Go ahead, Heyman. So Canada has a Telesat, so which is actually uh, yep. going to be in service as well. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Tyler, before you guys deep dive into that, may I just yeah. say something? Yeah. So um, on account of this man being a very modest man and he's a member of the club um, and he's rec- been recognized in the news, I just wanted to mention it. Um, in, partnership, in partnership with the UNFD, uh, UNFDC, Florian's firm Bamboo Capital has just deployed the first impact investment into Kenya where <laughs> solar panel is being deployed. I figured cool. that out. Thank you for mentioning. Yes, we did uh, with a new fund, which is uh, SME financing. Um, for for that, solar panel, uh, it's uh, to, it's to to replace kerosene. Yes. Cooking. Yes. That's correct. Yeah, that's Congrats very cool. For me, we, can you can you say, say more about it? This is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the thing is basically we've been. We have been focusing a lot on investment on technology platforms. I've talked about it, which is providing electricity to the off-grid population, 1.2 billion people in the world. Yep. But once that is done, we have had always a problem to, you know, then to get them from charcoal cooking to gas cooking or kerosene things. Yep. And that is basically now Mbezi is a new company we we um, we invested in. And it's a small ticket and it's earlier stage and a riskier stage basically to replace that these this cooking with a solar type of cooking yes what do you and by solar cooking what do you mean because it's not that's a inefficient use of energy using electricity for heat isn't it it is. It is usually. It is inefficient. Is good. You need a lot of power to to get the heat in. Right. That's absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that electricity for heat is inefficient. I actually, it's a hundred percent efficient. It may be. Uh, what expensive. do we mean by that? It's uh, yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Maybe expensive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you for for, for <laughs> yes for correcting that the terminology. Yes. But Boy. but that that that's the piece. The piece is really here that we are looking into. The use of clean energy throughout households, but in a distributed way. So it's not that you have energy being produced in a power station, then hardwired and somebody pays for that energy. It is like we have been discussing here, actually, in, 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 you know, recently very much, the distributed models, um, not centralized models, and that applies also in energy. So therefore, actually, my point of view is I believe in the future, companies let's say a consumer will no longer pay energy like internet. You will pay only the, the infrastructure you need in order to access it. And that's, of course, a big change from 
you know, the, for, the, for the energy industry overall, you know, in terms of not having to do huge uh, infrastructure projects and then being, let's say, financed over the next 30 years, um, but really to have it in a much more nimble way that the energy is be- being produced whenever surface, wherever surface where you are, um, and that to the benefit on short distances. And even if you look at like models like they have been in China testing, for example, when you have electric cars rolling over the highway and they, through induction charge, charge as they roll, as long as they're on the highway. So you only need a small battery, then basically to go off and back on again. That is here translated to the household. So it's a Tesla model, if you want to say that, see that, um, but on a very small scale and a, and a low, low price. So it's a bottom-up approach, which is very exciting. This idea of cars charging when they're driving or even when they're stationary, if it'll work, if it'll work when they're stationary, you might have to modify it for stationary. It's pretty fascinating because if you, the idea of making solar cars, it, it kind of doesn't work unless you're in the desert with a massive car that runs on bicycle wheels and you know you lie flat on your back. You're never going to have, and you can confidently say you're never going to have a high performance car that runs off the solar that lands on its roof because there's just not enough solar power hitting the roof of the car. It's as simple as that. Um, but but until we get to the point where everything's self-driving and all the cars are on the road, if you think that, I don't know, 90, whatever, high 90% of cars, probably 99% of cars, uh, or put it this way, a car is parked, you know, 90 something percent of its time, right? So if you were to look from space at all the cars on the earth, most of them are parked. And if all cars had a modest solar panel on their roof and all of those parked cars could push their power into the grid uh, through induction into the road, uh, and then the few cars that are driving could use that power. Cars themselves could probably, as a system, become self-sustaining off solar. But you'd have to leverage all the parked cars. Just a thought. And that... Go ahead, Heyman. Heyman, we can't hear you. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, Heyman, your audio he's is streaming. Good, he's streaming into... Uh, into yes, it. I was with him in the other room <laughs> when he's streaming you. He's, so he's, yeah, collecting what gems. he's collecting what... gems by streaming Tyler. What you're talking about, they're, they're, they're really trying to do that right now. They're trying to get this induction, these induction mats that you drive over and you get billed for your power. But, you know, as you're talking, my thought was imagine um, stop zones that are inductively pulling your, you know, slowing you down inductively. Um, and when they do that, they're harvesting your energy, um, you know, Ooh, uh, like a linear, like a linear motor in reverse, basically. Exactly. In the, in the airport so like, when you hop on that, those. Yeah, yeah, cool. That, that, that's kind of like the future, probably 10, 20 years from now, but I can see it, you know, I mean, uh, and then you have uh, uh, the, you have these battery packs that uh, Tesla's talking about putting everywhere and potentially mining coin. I kind of casually joked about like, you know, they should invent a, a car that mines Bitcoin by, you know, when you slow down the that, that energy goes to mine Bitcoin, because if it takes a ton of energy, guess what? That's a ton of energy you can pull out of a, a moving vehicle, you, you know, kinetic energy converts to electrical pretty easily so yeah it already you know, goes it, in back into the battery of course not yeah as and, it, it, as it could, and, it and it's this brave and it's the kind of this crazy new world that uh you know if, if enough of these people are listening to this room uh might actually be able to push through yep so check can i ask hold on one second folks because we've got uh a bunch of little headlines i gotta blast through real quick here and while i do just know that i just retweeted these from the tech news twitter account so you can see all of these headlines i'm about to blast through at t-n-a-t-w which is mysteriously the first letters of tech news around the world if you can figure out how that happened please dm me we are desperate to figure out how this happened 
T-N-A-T-W, first letters of Tech News Around the World. That's the Twitter account where the tweets are now uh, live. You can see these articles I'm about to blast off. The first is now, kind of paradoxically, the U.S. is warning the EU against anti-American tech policies because, goddammit, we're the ones trying to slow down the big tech companies. <laughs> um, but both the U.S. and the EU, as we've said now, every 30 minutes for the past four days, the U.S. has created bills to slow down big tech. The EU is creating bills to slow down big tech. The U.K., Japan, India, and in both of those in the past 48 hours. And then in the past five hours, Russia now is trying to slow down uh, big tech. Uh, but the headline in the past 30 minutes is that the EU is, I'm sorry, the U.S. is warning the EU against their anti-American tech policy. And by the way, we started this program two hours ago by saying that none other than Tim Cook made an appearance at my friend's Paris tech event via via internet link uh, to say that uh, the these EU um, plans for big tech would absolutely kill the iPhone. And so the headline that I just sent out from the Financial Times says that the EU has warned the US has warned the EU against pursuing protectionist technology policies that exclusively target American companies ahead of Joe Biden's first presidential visit to Brussels. The National Security Council and arm of the White House wrote last week to complain about the tone of recent comments about the EU's flagship tech regulation as debates are about to begin in the European Parliament. Here's the quote. We are particularly concerned about recent comments by European Parliament Rapporteur for the Digital Markets Act, the DMA. The, by the way, the same legislation that uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook just said would kill the iPhone, uh, who suggests the DMA should unquestionably target only five biggest U.S. firms, said the email seen by the Financial Times. It added, comments and approaches such as this make regulatory cooperation between the U.S. and Europe extremely difficult and send a message that the EU Commission is not interested in engaging with the U.S., the United States, in good faith to address these common challenges in a way that serves our shared interest. Protectionist measures could disadvantage European citizens and hold back innovation in member state economies. Such policies will also hinder our ability to work together and harmonize our regulatory systems, blah, 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 blah. You're hurting our big tech companies. How dare you? We are going to regulate our own tech companies. Thank you very much. And by the way, Tim Cook was just appearing in Paris today via Zoom of sorts to say that indeed this DMA EU legislation would kill the iPhone. So it's an interesting uh, development today. Another quick headline. Twitter may soon let you choose who mentions you. What does that mean? Well, what anyone can mention you on Twitter by including your Twitter account as part of their tweet. And now it's, you can now see for yourself, Twitter uh, is testing out the ability for you to remove yourself from their tweet. So you can remove mentions of yourself when you didn't want to be mentioned by somebody. Um, but you definitely should mention our Twitter account, TNATW, when you find a good tech article that you want us to share as somebody did when they shared this article, uh, somewhat ironically. Google updates its kids' online safety curriculum with lessons on gaming, video, and more. Google announced today it's updating and expanding its digital safety and, uh, as it uh, essentially is exposing its interest in getting into the education space, long story short. And so they're updating their policies um, as such. Uh, new evidence-based lessons and activities designed with experts and research professionals 
to help your kids learn with the help of Google. And as we said and have been saying uh, in recent days here, if you follow us regularly, you know, big tech is coming for med tech and ed tech in a very big way. And this article helps prove the point um, that we just tweeted out. You could take a look for yourself. Uh, a couple more here. Car, and this one from Mabwana. Thank you for this one. Another huge prediction that we've had here is that uh, the future of mobility is that there will be car subscriptions on an hourly basis. And here's a new headline uh, to prove it. Car subscriptions are taking off in South Africa. COVID-19 has created an openness to new ways of consuming cars. Flex Club, a new company that fo focuses on car subscriptions in South Africa and Mexico, is now delivering almost 100 cars a week across South Africa to its partners. Here's the quote. The uncertainty of COVID-19 pandemic has created an openness to new ways of consuming cars, said Flex Club CEO and founder during a webinar in the future of automotive retailing hosted by Deloitte. And by the way, Volkswagen plans to lease uh, their cars on an hourly basis for the price of about $8.50 per hour going forward. That means you're not going to be buying the cars. You're going to be renting them by the hour. And because the car is just too valuable to them in the meantime, and eventually they won't lease you the car at all. Um, as I, that's my other prediction and it might, that one might take a few months still to come true, but, um, one more headline here. None of the 10 health apps harvest user data. Wait, uh, oh, sorry. I read that wrong from the guardian nine out of 10 health apps harvest user data. Global study shows analysis of 20,000 mobile apps that ask for sensitive information shows that some track users across different platforms, and 9 out of 10 mobile health apps collect and track user data, according to a new global study. The research published in the British Medical Journal conducted in-depth analysis of more than 20,000 mobile health apps on the Google Play Store, some of which require users to disclose sensitive health information, including step and calorie counters, apps that manage health conditions, symptoms and checkers, of men and menstru menstruation trackers. And it turns out that health apps track more data than most any apps, and now you know why these data companies, these big, big data companies want your sweet, sweet medical data, and now you know why they're so eager to get into the med tech space, because they want all that. Ju they don't care about giving you better health. They care about all of that juicy, juicy, sweet, 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 sweet medical data that they can get from you to optimize their ad networks. That's the name of the game, folks. And that's what we do here at Tech News Around the World, help you understand what the fuck is going on. So thank you again to everybody. Uh, we're going to hand it over to our friend Ben, who's going to kick off the, what, what's the name of the room, Ben? We have two rooms. Two rooms. That's right. That's right. Michelle's room is open. Okay. Michelle has the F-A-A-N-G job referral interview tips room. If you want to work at Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, or Google. Go see Michelle at the F-A-A-N-G Job Referral Interview Tip Room. or And if you want to hear about AI, AI news yes. from around the world, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all such topics, then join me over there. I will I'm see you, Ben. Go do it now. We're going to go meet Ben over at the AI Newsroom and do some deep diving on some AI news. So looking forward to it. Hopefully see you there. If not, we will see you here tomorrow. In either time zone, click the title of the room to see the schedule and follow the Tech News Club, everybody. Thank you once again for another fantastic gathering of tech news around the world. Thank you. Thank you, Cal. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Thank you. Bye.
Nessa é 